on work as a society, all of us. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up. That no people on earth are so fearless or daring or determined. The world is not driven by greed. It's driven by envy. This is the most macro environment as I've ever seen. Undercapitalized, the wrong people, bad market conditions. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Welcome to the TEL Podcast, where we talk to, educate, and lead America's small business owners, managers, and anybody else willing to listen into the 21st century of business. I'm Taylor Lassiter. Today, I'm talking to my last guest here in Idaho, Dave Fowler. Um, Dave is now a realtor up here in the Coeur d'Alene and surrounding areas, but he wasn't always that. And so we're going to get into some of his life and life stories and whatnot. But if you have not heard of this podcast before, stay tuned because we got some really good guests. Um, I'm going to be heading down to Vegas right after this trip and, and then on to Texas, my home state at the moment to, you know, do more local podcast episodes with various business owners down there. Um, take a look at the last, uh, this is probably episode, what is this, 16 maybe, 15, 16? So take a look at the last episodes because there's a lot of good information, especially eight and nine, and then some of the stuff that I talked to uh, Tom Robinson about, who is a tax guy here up in the Coeur d'Alene area. And uh, it's a lot about banking and cryptocurrency and everything that's going on with that, our government and all of their role in it. But uh, please share the podcast and we're going to get into this. So Dave, thanks for being on. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, how do we know each other? So, well, that's funny because I think it's going to lead to a story at some point that your dad likes. But uh, so I met you obviously through your dad, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Lasseter, who was one of my first captains when I was a fire, uh, when I was a firefighter at San Bernardino County. And uh, I think Steve was the first, the first guy I rode out with when I was back in 2000, uh, 2004, 2005. And he okay. was the first captain that, uh, that I got assigned to, so. Yeah, and uh, was that in Joshua Tree or down in Fontana? It was, it was a little station, uh, yeah, just on Park Avenue, Joshua Tree. Okay, yeah, uh, that was not very far from my house, so we visited <laughs> all the time. So I remember <laughs> yeah. you always doing the dishes and the, Everything, you know, I, all of the. <laughs> I had this talk with my wife this morning. We compared who has cleaned more toilets. Oh, yeah. And she she had an argument that she has. Mm-hmm. I said, there's no chance. I said, I did it for 15 years. And sometimes there's six toilets a day. There's no chance. Now, was it six toilets or was it one toilet six times? <laughs> well, it depends on which captain was working that day. <laughs> but yeah, if it was Norm Bear, then yeah, it was probably six times a day. So that was it. Yeah, I... I might have you beat from the military side of things. Really? But it might be close. Yeah. Yeah, I clean. You don't. You don't think we clean toilets in the in the military? I'm sure. I that's the that's the one part of the service (laughs) I was never in. I'm I'm totally bummed out. But that was the one thing I didn't do as a military. And uh, so I. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's okay, man. Don't. I'll defer. Don't. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Um, No. uh, What led you to be a firefighter? Because that's where we met. But I mean, you have a whole life background before that. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I had no intention to do anything like that. I actually, I went to college and I was going to be a teacher. Um, I wanted to be a history teacher. I got my degree in history, which is a whole nother story. Everybody wants to ask me about history. I don't know really much about it. So, but I got my degree in history 
And uh, I started substitute teaching and um, God bless teachers. It's, that is, I, I realized really quick that I, it wasn't for me. I think I subbed for probably two or three months and it just hit me in my senior year. I'm like, man, I, this, is not, this is not what I like to do. I, I, I taught in college for a little bit and that was a lot of fun. I had a good time. That was years down the road. That was nice because people wanted to be there. They were paying for their education, but it didn't work out for me. So I needed to find another route. And uh, my brother-in-law at the time, um, I guess step-brother-in-law, he was uh, a fireman with County. And he said, hey, why don't you do this? So uh, a chief called me, Chris Norton, um, gave me a call and he said, hey, I heard you want to get hired. And I, it kind of caught me off guard. And I said, yeah, you know, I was considering. He goes, cool, you're hired. I'm like, what? <laughs> and obviously this was for, for paid call. I mean, it, was, okay, yeah. it wasn't full time. I didn't have any of the education, but he got me hired. And I think that just kind of kickstarted it. I mean, I spent a couple days at the station. I met your dad, uh, met Jay Demoff, some other guys. And uh, it just kind of took off from there. So I immediately started going to EMT school, got that done, went to the academy and then medic school. And it was just, I had somewhat of a Cinderella story getting hired there. Yeah, it um, sounds like you kind of got voluntold to do it. You're like, oh, I'm considering it. At, well, you're going to do this. Yeah, <laughs> at first it was kind of like that. But I mean, it, it worked out so good. And so there's a lot of people that struggle getting that job. Yeah, and sure. at the time that I did, it was difficult to get mm-hmm. hired. Right now, I mean, everybody needs somebody. And, and law enforcement, fire, I mean, they're trying to hire like crazy. And um, when I got in, I mean, it was it worked out really well for me, but it was really competitive mm-hmm. at the time. So, how uh, how long were you paid call? I was only paid call for probably six months. I got oh, hired okay. as a as a limited term fireman. Okay, um, working on an ambulance at that time, and I did that for probably a year while I went to medic school. When you're paid call, are you only in a specific area, or do they call you kind of all over the county? It, so the way that it was structured before is I, I spent most of my time in Joshua Tree mm-hmm. and Yucca Valley, and and that was kind of you kind of picked up shifts wherever you could. Yeah. Um, but you were pretty much isolated to that region. I didn't get to go down to Fontana or San Bernardino or Arrowhead or other areas as a paid call. Um, once I got hired as an LT, then I was able to move around the county at least to ambulances and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, was firefighting more exciting to you or was all the medical stuff? Oh, no. Firefighting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, the, the medical stuff, there was a time where I was really into it. I was a geek. Man, I, I, when I went to medic school, I was super excited about like the endocrine system. Okay. I was the guy that wanted to, to learn all the facets of, of how, I mean, I felt like I was being trained like a doctor. I mean, there was sure. so much information coming in. So there was definitely a time where that was, uh, you know, running a, a, a full code like a CPR or anything else was an exciting, exciting thing. I think by after 15 years of doing it, it was, you know, I dreaded waking up to have to go to mm-hmm. something like that. But yeah. there was definitely a time where it was exciting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think my dad, he was a paid call for, I, I want to say he was a paid call for a longer period of time for some reason. Um, but I know that, like, my first recollection of him doing firefighter things was when he worked for the combat center. Right. Um, and and then I remember him going over and working with MBA. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the everybody loves them. <laughs> but they're, you know, they pick up the slack in the area because there's, there's not many units out there. Sure. And there's a lot of land to cover, so. And honestly, places like that, it's difficult. A lot of times they're used as stepping stones. Sure. So you get some people that settle in there and, and uh, you got to appreciate them because otherwise those organizations don't run. And yeah. So, but yeah, we ran with them too. And it yeah. was 
It was fun. So you said you were there for 15 years. Why the change? <laughs> wow, that's a whole, yeah. We'll get so, into it, man. We're only seven minutes into this. Oh, thing, yeah. So. The, the change, so um, obviously we'll, we'll talk about it. I mean, I left, I left firefighting. I came up here. I became a cop with Coeur d'Alene PD. Had a blast with that. Now, obviously, I'm doing real estate. So um, I tell people that, it, people say, oh, you retired from being a cop and being a fireman. I'm like, no, I'm actually a two-time quitter. So I, I quit both. <laughs> but there were reasons for both, and it seemed to work out best for me and my family, and, and that's all that really matters. So um, I, I changed. I, I had a, a long period right before I, I promoted to captain where we started looking to get out of California. Um, our kids were young. They were five and six at the time. And uh, we started wanting a little bit of a change for them as well. And I think it's a little selfish of me because I wanted to go somewhere where if my kids rooted and they had families that, you know, I wasn't going to have to go back to California to see grandbabies and everything else. So I'm like, I want them to root somewhere else. Sure. Um, and we visited Coeur d'Alene. Um, it was kind of this, this random trip and we didn't even really know about it. We pulled into town and we're like, man, I, we want to live here. Mm-hmm. And this was back in 2015. So I actually flew up here and I applied for Coeur d'Alene PD um, back at the end of May in 2015. And I wasn't yet a captain. I was actually, I flew up here to test for Coeur d'Alene PD and then flew back for my captain's test. Oh, okay. And so I was in limbo on whether or not I wanted to leave California and come up here or, um, or, or, or stay down there. And the thing that actually caught me, um, we, we recently just, just did uh, some stuff in town for this. So May, May 5th, uh, at the beginning of the month before I tested was when Greg Moore, who was a sergeant up here, was shot and killed. Okay. And Greg, I, I never knew him. Obviously, I worked with a lot of people that did know him. And he had a huge impact uh, when he was around as a sergeant in that department. Um, he, was, he was well-liked. You know, all the stories that I hear about him are just that he was just a phenomenal person. I mean, always smiling. It had a huge impact in town. We now have a huge... Um, they have a waterfall and, and uh, kind of a, a in memory to him down at um, McEwen Park. Right yeah, I got to town. walk over by that. That was really cool. Yeah, we just did a trail run for that. Oh. 27 miles. He was K27. Wow, okay. And uh, we actually have a, 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 I just learned this is Gala, not Gala, a K27 Gala uh, <laughs> this weekend for him um, that our foundation, I'll talk about that later on. Okay. But anyways, uh, to get back to it, I was actually applying up here the month that he uh, that he was shot and killed, and I remember that kind of resonated with me. That was one of those things where to make a transition into law enforcement was very different than anything that I knew. And uh, when we were, when I went back, I took my captain's test and I got the offer to promote to captain. And I was into backgrounds with Cordelline PD, and it hit me that I was actually potentially testing for a position that was open because they lost a guy in the line of duty. Yeah. And I remember that it wasn't necessarily scary to me, but it was, it was shocking to me to think, man, like there's a family that just lost their husband, their dad. Yeah. Um, and it was a huge impact. And I was like, man, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if it's for me. And I think that was one of the things that made me stall um, is I didn't know if I was ready mentally for, for that type of change. Uh, where my family was, and obviously I was I was moving in a certain direction with the fire department, so we chose to stay. Um, part of me wishes I would have taken the job, but uh, luckily I didn't burn any bridges, and I stepped out of backgrounds. And then four or five years later, it just 
it got to the point where there was enough going on in our lives to where it was a better move to leave. Um, I ended up applying here at Coeur PD and uh, you know, I got teased a lot because I was gonna be the, the fireman that, that goes to the, becomes a first responder is what they told me. I'd finally, be, <laughs> I'd finally move on to be a first responder. And uh, you know, they're like, oh, the cool thing is you don't have to stage for calls anymore. You get, to, you get to go to the call and be the first one there. And I'm like, oh boy, this is gonna Well, go yeah, because the running joke is that like, um, you know, if firefighters never say that they want to be cops. It's cops saying, I should have been a firefighter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the cops were the guys that couldn't make it through the fire academy. <laughs> yeah. Right. I get it. No, but so, I mean, I came up here and it was great. And, uh, you know, I obviously chose to not go the fire route and did the law enforcement thing and I loved it. So it was, uh, it was a phenomenal time. I remember you were still a firefighter and something happened. You got sick or something. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Gambare or Gillian Barr, however you, a couple of different ways to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got this really, that was funny. I was an engineer at the time and uh, I was actually on duty and my, the back of my, my toes and my fingers started to feel numb over a couple of days. I was on duty. So everybody knows if you become a fireman, you don't just work two days on and get, you know, six days off. That's not what happens. You work a lot. I think I was on duty for like five days. I was working with John Garber at station 36 in Joshua Tree. And I was driving and my fingers and toes started going numb. And I didn't think much of it. And then it kind of, I woke up the next morning and the back of my calves were numb. And I'm like, what is going on? Um, the other guys gave me a hard time. They're like, ah, oh, you're a baby, you're fine. <laughs> All right. Well, it had been like three or four days and I started feeling weird. So I, and dumb, because he asked me about medical stuff. I didn't check any of my vitals. So we decided to, to check my vitals. My blood pressure was like 220 over like 140, hmm. which is obviously atypical. Right. And so that kind of shocked me. I went to the ER in Joshua Tree, everybody's favorite ER. <laughs> and uh, they told me that I had anxiety. Sounds like the VA. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's got anxiety. So I got told that I have anxiety and I'm like, man, that's really weird. So they put me on a beta blocker and all this stuff. And I'm taking like a tenolol now, which is, you know, every patient I run on has a tenolol. I'm like, this is crazy. It continued to, to work its way up my legs. I didn't, I've never heard of this disease. And obviously I'm webmd like everybody. So I'm thinking that I right. have like multiple sclerosis or something else. And I'm like, shit, man, I'm like, this, this could be a bad thing. Um, so it got pretty bad at work and I decided, I'm like, I need a vacation. I need to get out of here. So I left with my wife and the kids. We went down to San Diego and we were at, I remember we were at a water park down there and my whole back was dumb. And I'm like, dude, something's wrong. And I turned to Renee and I'm like, I need to go to the ER. So we, we headed back up. We went to um, Desert Regional and uh, I don't know what it is with having Guillain-Barre and those symptoms, but they want to check your rectal tone. Mm, Con- yeah, I know. Fun. I've <laughs> I met a lot of people that want to check my rectal tone. <laughs> so... Um, Part of the experience, I guess, but they told me, oh, you have a one millimeter slip disc in your like L4, L5. And I'm thinking, what fireman doesn't have a one millimeter slip disc? Sure. So they told me that's what's causing the numbness in my, my legs. And I asked them like, what about my face and like my, my upper body? And they said, oh, that's anxiety. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So they put me on some muscle relaxers. I went the whole weekend um, and I figured, oh, this is just a slip disc. So I was supposed to go to Arrowhead Regional Monday morning. And uh, I woke up Monday morning and I went in and I was getting worse and worse, but I'm thinking that it's just a slip disc. And I went in my bathroom to go uh, brush my teeth and I went to go rinse my mouth and I couldn't keep the water in my mouth. Like I tried to swish it and it just fell out of my mouth. Whoa. And so 
I, I remember I turned to Renee and I'm like, I, I got to go to the hospital right now. Um, we ended up down there. Uh, Dr. Pennington, who was our medical director, was on duty in the ER. And I'm thinking that I have MS. I'm like, my life is over. This is going to change everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was even shuffling when I was walking. I was starting to lose control of everything. And I went in and he saw me and I told him my symptoms. I'm like, I'm not a hypochondriac. I have something's going on. And he looked at me and he's like, I, I need you to come back with us right now. I'm like, oh, shit. So we went back and uh, they put me back into an MRI and they told me, you know, you may have, um, he came in after my MRI and he doesn't read MRIs, he's not the tech, but he came back and he said, hey, you, you could have some lesions um, on your brain. Um, he goes, I looked at it and it looks a little suspect. And I remember sitting there like, look at my wife, I'm like, dude, I, this is not, her, her, her grandpa died of MS. Oh. And she watched him slowly yeah. kind of go through that. And it was difficult for her, difficult for everything else. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I don't want, I don't want that to be what you have to deal with. And luckily the MRI tech comes in like five minutes later and he goes, hey, you know, you're clear. You don't have, you don't have any MS. And I'm like, oh. he's like, you have anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of anxiety, <laughs> but then they come in and now they're telling me, oh, we think you have uh, myasthenia gravis or gambrae. And I'm like, well, what the hell is that? And they, they go, oh, it's these. I said, is it curable? I said, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. I said, oh, I don't care then. <laughs> That's good. So they did a spinal tap on me. They confirmed it was gambrae. My proteins were high. Um, and then I was in the hospital for seven days. Uh, at the worst, I could barely get down on the ground and do one push up. Um, I couldn't run for probably two months, not because it hurt or anything. I couldn't tell my legs how to run. Yeah. Um, which is like, you're, you're not like a, you're a fit dude. You've as long as I've known you, you've been a pretty fit dude. (laughs) There's a lot of firefighters out there that are, you know, super fat. Yeah, but that's not you. So when you say like I couldn't do a push up, it's we're not talking about fat dude. No, I literally went yeah. from running Spartan races to not being able to yeah. walk almost. So I was in there. I, I did all this treatment, this immune globulin. Um, you know, luckily I had great insurance at the time with a lot of things that people don't have, and um, I ended up getting out of the hospital. And uh, I remember going home and listening. I was watching Rocky Four every day. I turn on Rocky Four and I try to do like something. <laughs> I try to jump on like a, a phone book. Like doing a box jump onto a phone book was almost impossible. Um, and I would have to have my hands and my feet massaged every night. Renee would massage my hands and feet, try to get the, the stimulation back. And I actually went to my doctor and I was so pissed at him because he told me that I had anxiety. Um, I argued with him in there and I got him to release me back to duty. So <laughs> I know, not a good thing, but I drove a fire engine for like a month, yeah. not being able to feel my legs, like looking out, okay, that's like, that's the gas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Having to grab your it, leg. And- it, wasn't, it wasn't a smart decision, but um, yeah, I, I couldn't sit at my house and yeah. just do yeah, That's just not my personality. So yeah, I mean, it, it took probably about nine months for me to get back to, I'd say, 75, 80% strength. Um, Scott Abraham, who I'd beat him any day in a foot race, would go outside and try to race me because he knew I couldn't run. And obviously he would beat me. Right. But uh, yeah, so it was a pretty scary experience. Um, taught me a lot and you know, made me pretty thankful for just being healthy. And I found out, not to get political, but it was all from a vaccine. Really? Yes. I got a Tdep, a tetanus pertussis, diaph- I don't know how to say it all. And I got it about 
eight days prior to the symptoms starting. Whoa. Um, I went into my doctor and I just wanted to check my cholesterol and stuff. And he said, hey, you're overdue on your tetanus. Do you want a booster? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And he gave me a, bo- a booster and that's what they said was the cause. I mean, you never know, but yeah. they've been tied to a lot of vaccines. So obviously I'm, a, I'm an anti-vaxxer, I guess you would say. I mean, you kind of have to be now. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, at least you get a you know, chance Right. Like a lot of the negative effects on this COVID vaccine are like people just dying. Yeah, and I, you yeah. know, I don't know. I just, I know for me, it's it's not the right thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to ask you how you got it, but I mean, like, if it's not a, the vaccine caused it, but people get that without vaccines, right? Or is that something that's like, so it's a it's a pretty rare disease. In fact, being at Arrowhead, it's a it's a teaching hospital, so there's a lot of interns and a lot of um, uh, what are the, the part-time doctors called? Uh, Resident? Residents. Residents. There you go. Yeah. So a lot of them came in to talk to me because it's not something you see every day. And they had questions for me and they wanted to do rectal exams, check my rectal tone. <laughs> I, yeah. When the big dude walked in there, I'm like, we're done, man. You got it. <laughs> not even 40 yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your hands are bigger than mine. We're, we're, we're not doing this. Um, so... Yeah, they, they say it's tied a lot of time to vaccines. I guess it can happen anytime. Basically, when your body goes into an immune response um, to try to kill something, which it was trying to kill this, this Tdep, um, it, it randomly identifies your myelin around your nervous system as, um, as a threat. Well, you have nerves all throughout your body, so your body goes into this, this overdrive to kill all of this myelin. Sure. So, I mean, it literally attacks itself and uh, that's that's kind of what happened. So wow, um, did that affect you? Uh, how close was that to when you were deciding to leave the fire department and move? None. None had no effect on that. No effect. Yeah. Were you already during that time? Were you already thinking about moving out of California? Um, not at that time. No. I think it started. It started in about twenty. Yeah, twenty fifteen. And I okay. got that in like twenty thirteen. So okay. it didn't have any effect on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I remember when that happened, and it was like. It just random. Everybody right. was like, "Dude, what? What is happening?" Um, okay, well, a couple years later, you finally make the choice to to deuce out. Yeah, tell me about that. Oh man. Well, I think everybody thought I was nuts. Um, I mean, I had because that's probably a pretty decent pay cut too, right? It was about seventy five percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty open with stuff like that, but I I went from making. At the time, I think with overtime, I mean, I was making 200 to 250 a year as a fire captain. Yeah. And I went down to making about 48 um, in law enforcement. Which all the firefighters in New York are wanting to throat chop you right now. Right. Well, <laughs> I, you know what? I, I feel for them all because I'll tell you what, it's not worth it. Yeah. For me, it's not worth it anymore. I don't want to be at work 20 days a month. And, you know, I just went back last month. We can talk about that in a little bit, but... I just went back to see guys and it, it was pretty validating that I'm yeah. not doing that anymore. But I came up here and um, yeah, I, I, I got hired with PD and everybody always asks, it's like the, the, the question everybody wants to know, like, well, you've done both, what's better? I'm like, man, I, I, I can't. They were both awesome. There, mm-hmm. was, there was good things and bad to both. I think for, for me at that stage of life with my kids where they were, with, my, you know, um, with our family, I think it was better for me because I came home every day. That was something that I didn't do as a fireman. I mean, granted, we were very family oriented. People came to the station 
you obviously know with your dad, you'd come to the station all the time, Christmases, holidays, people came by. Um, but I, there were times where I didn't come home mm-hmm. for eight days. And uh, when I got into law enforcement, I came home every 10 hours and 40 minutes. Now, sometimes I get held over for a couple hours at a late arrest or something, but um, for the most part, I got to see my family every day. Even if it was uh, you know, off kilter or it was late at night, early in the morning, I got to see them. And I mean, I asked my kids, you know, I'm like, do you guys like this better? And they're like, yeah, we love this. I'm like, cool, yeah. that's worth it then. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a good change. Did your, um, I guess in many regards, being a police officer is more dangerous did your did your family or wife like have some resistance to you wanting to switch to that profession <laughs> up here instead of? So I don't know if I've dumbed things down. I know that I, I know that I always I would, I would always tease my wife because I would go to work as a fireman, mm-hmm. and I'd I'd like roll over and you know I'd be leaving early in the morning, so I got to drive thirty seven hours across San Bernardino County to get to my station, and uh, I'd tell her be like, hey, I'm I'm leaving for work, and she'd be like, all right, bye. I'm like, aren't you worried? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you tell me what you do all the time. You sit in a recliner. You don't, it doesn't sound scary at all. And I'm like, oh. So I think I dumbed it down for them. I, I think my wife always said that she had a lot of confidence in me. Um, and she was always, she, she'd always tell me that she's like, I, I believe you'll make the right decision. And so I'm not worried about it. And that kind of kind of shocks me because I know that I don't, I mean, I know yeah. when I was a captain the first time, I looked at like the whole city and I'm like, I need to let everybody know that I'm in charge right now because that's a, that's dangerous. Sure. Like, why am I running around <laughs> in charge of a like, no way. Um, but yeah, she wasn't too worried about it. And uh, I, I'd say the thing, the biggest thing that makes it more dangerous is when I was a fireman, you know, we would get on a call and for the most part, I would have a choice. People don't realize you have a lot more of a choice as a fireman. If it was unsafe, if it didn't look right, I could easily tell my crew, "Hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, um, we're not gonna get all excited and go inside this house and fight this fire. This is a defensive fire; it's too dangerous. We're not gonna go inside. We're gonna play it safe." In law enforcement, I learned right away, I don't have necessarily that choice. When there's something that's going on that I need to respond to, I, I don't necessarily have the choice to say, "Hey." there's an incident over here and somebody's in trouble and I, I can choose to kind of step back or, or triage. Like sometimes you have to go. And uh, I walking think, into the unknown, right. Even on a traffic stop. Oh, those are, you know, can I, can I just say some PSA when you get pulled over, right? I, anybody can tell when you pulled over a cop or somebody else that's law enforcement, military, something like that. I roll down all four of my windows and I have my hands on the steering wheel. I don't reach for anything. They can run my information if they want anything else. That I, I make sure I don't care if I'm pissed off about getting pulled over or anything else. Roll down your windows so they can see everything in your car so there's no question and have your hands on the steering wheel. Yeah. Um, that Whenever that would happen, that put me at ease because you're right. I don't know who it is that I'm about to talk to. Yeah. And uh, you know they have tinted windows or whatever and it might be legal in that state. They right. don't roll down the back window. You might have a shotgun pointed at your head. You don't know. Yeah, and yeah. that that has happened. Yeah, um, there's a lot of, and it, you know, I think that's the that's one of the things that new officers they get stressed on so much is officer safety. Like you have to be aware of what's going on in that vehicle, and uh, it is it's stressful, especially at night. You can't see inside a vehicle, and somebody wants to play the game of rolling down their window yeah. two inches. You don't know how many people are in there. Um, it 
it puts you immediately on the defensive mm -hmm. and people don't realize, you know, they know that they're safe. They know that they're good people. They know they're not out to hurt you, but they don't realize the position you're put in all the time where you're walking up to something and it's not always a good person. Sure. Um, my good friend, Charles Hatley, uh, you know, he got shot in 2019 up here and uh, it was on a traffic stop. He went to go assist and um, it, you know, I'm, I'm close with him and his, his wife, Michelle, and you know, he got shot right as 12th day, I think. He got shot right in the hip and, and he recovered, he's on duty and it's, it's a phenomenal story to hear what he went through. I mean, a lot of it afterwards, but um, you know, it was just routine. And I wouldn't say they necessarily did anything wrong. You can probably Monday morning quarterback anything, but um, it was circumstances where you realize you, you don't know who you're dealing with. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's unsafe for sure. Yeah. It's hard too, I guess. Uh, I've been on a few ride-alongs and uh, the traffic stops, it was always interesting because it seemed like every single time we pulled somebody over, nobody was respectful. It was like yeah. one out of 10 was respectful when you'd pull them over. Yeah. Oh. You know, and it's like, is there really that many people that are going to give a cop an attitude? I mean, you'd think it's like, don't talk shit about your waitress because they're about to handle your food. Right. <laughs> You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It, yeah, it's, it's tough because I, I think it can come down to both sides. It can come down. Definitely. I mean, I, I've had cops pull me over where immediately I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to, you're going <laughs> to act like this with me. You're not, um, I, people, people get really, really upset. And a lot of times, I mean, you see there's, there's a couple really good guys to learn from. Eric Boardman was one of my FTOs and he was phenomenal. And he was one of those guys that would put him at ease. And you know, he'd walk up and he'd start talking to him and be like, you know, what, what exactly would you do? What do you expect me to do when, I mean, you obviously, whatever it is, you obviously ran a red light. Like, I don't know who you are or anything else. I'm, I'm right there. Am I not supposed to stop you? And usually when you get people thinking about it from that, well, yeah, I know. Like, I haven't even told you I'm giving you a ticket yet. I haven't told you anything else. But I, I have to stop you. Like, that's my yeah. job. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so I think a lot of times when you relate it to people like that and you tell them like, hey, you know, it was an unsafe maneuver. I need to make sure you're not drunk. I need to make sure that you're not high. I need to make sure that, you know, you have a license. You know what the heck you're doing because there, there's tons of people out here. Um, and it, I, I guess when like the drunk driving thing, Nick Knoll says it really, really good. He's like, have you ever heard, because everybody wants to go after the criminals, you know, they want to go get the- Rapists and the serial killers. Right, and the, yeah. And he goes, when is the last time that you have arrested somebody for drugs, for violence, for anything else that has killed an innocent family of five? And you're like, well, none. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, but drunk drivers do. Like, so traffic yeah. stops are important. Like you need to check people. Sure. You need to make sure that they're right. Uh, getting a ticket sucks, yeah. but I think it's more important that we know that officers are out there actually checking people, make sure that they're yeah. doing the right thing on the road. It's also like, I heard someone say this too, not that you should go pull every single person you see on the road over, but that's actually how they find a lot of the really bad dudes slipping. 100%. They don't use their blinker. They run a red light. They run a stop sign. You 100%. Know. Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. Timothy yep. McVeigh was caught on a traffic stop because he didn't use his blinker or something. I, I'm not sure exact thing, but it was like something simple. Some officer was just doing his job and he saw a traffic violation and stopped him and he stopped Timothy McVeigh. Mm -hmm. Like that's, a, that's exactly what, what yeah. it is.
up in this area, I mean, because, you know, Southern California is just rife with violent criminals and stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of gangs down in the city and moving out into the other areas and stuff. We're about as close to Canada as you can get almost. Yep. Um, is that is that issue up here yet, or does it does the winter kind of flush all those people out? Oh, winter has a tendency to keep everybody pretty mellow, but um, I I feel like there's I I tell people this I don't think there's a neighborhood in this area that I wouldn't walk at night with my kids unarmed. Um, is it a good idea? No, I don't think it's really ever a good idea to walk down neighborhoods in the middle of the night, you know, by yourself. But um, I, you also have the right to do it here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the thing is, is that uh, the department up here, and I, I speak specifically to Coeur PD. A lot of the other departments follow suit as well. Is um, they do a really, really good job keeping crime down. And, and, and there's always going to be the, you know, the things that people that post on Ring and Facebook just drive me crazy. They're like, oh, it's so unsafe here. There's graffiti or my bike got stolen. This is, this is not the Coeur d'Alene it used to be. Yeah, it is. It's the same stuff happens. There's just more people now. And uh, they do a good job of focusing their efforts on the violent crimes, mm -hmm. on the drugs, on the things that bring those, those things in there. You're... The department here doesn't focus on running around and getting everybody's bike back. You know, there's other things that are more important. And when they focus on those other things, it keeps the, the theft low, the graffiti low, the drugs low. It keeps all that stuff. And they do a really, really good job of um, attacking those, you know, those part one crimes and making sure that those stay low. Those are the important things. Yeah. We don't want people getting hurt. We don't want people getting raped. You don't want people getting shot. You don't want those things to happen. And I think they do a really good job of focusing on what they're supposed to up here. Yeah, I always worry about the, the parts of the country where um, word gets out, like, this place is awesome. Everybody move here. Yeah. And then it's just a mad rush to get here. Well, and then usually crime and all that stuff follows, follows it. Oh, um, it's inevitable. It's, it's insane in Texas. Like, the amount of people that have moved to Texas from New York or California or wherever, and then inevitably crime and gangs trying to you know, fight for territory and stuff. Right. That happened in, in Vegas while I was living there. When they announced that the Oakland Raiders were moving to Vegas, oh. all of the gang activity up in Vegas, they came out to Vegas and were trying to, like, fight for territory. So it went from, like, it went from cops, you know, drawing their weapon maybe a few times in their career to, like, almost every night they were having to draw their weapon God. because it just got nuts out there. Can we just change the name of that team? <laughs> like just change it. The Las Vegas Angels. Yeah. Of Anaheim. Yeah. No. Well, I think they're Los Angeles Angels Los now. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Of Anaheim? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. That's dumb. We can get in a whole other <laughs> thing about oh, yeah. that. Um Okay, so how long were you a cop up here? So I was in law enforcement here for pretty much right at two years. So not a not a long time. Sure. Um but yeah, just just two years before I stepped out and Jumped okay. into real estate. So. And your your wife was a real estate agent before, like the whole time that you were in yes. California too, right? Yep. Yeah, she was a real estate agent. Um, I think she started in probably 2017. So she had, she had been a real estate agent down there for a couple of years before we moved. What was the appeal for you to start help working with her and helping her out and stuff? Um, <laughs> so... To be honest, I, you know, it's so weird because people ask me this all the time. They're like, oh, do you just love real estate? 
I'm like, no. <laughs> You're like a yeah. used car salesman sometimes. Oh yeah, you can, you can be. I I don't I don't feel like I fall into that category, but um, that I'm not. Real estate is not like my calling. I don't think it's something where I. Um, I absolutely love it or I just want to talk real estate. I talk it a lot because I have to. It's my job. It's, it's how I, I stay involved with it. But um, I, I guess, where were we going with the question? Why did I? Why did you, yeah, why okay, did you switch or start helping her out? And then, you know. So I, yeah, I actually got my license um, about a year into law enforcement. And I, I kind of started just yeah, kind of dabbling with it and helping her a little bit, working with some of the guys um, at PD that were in need of finding homes or selling or anything else. And uh, it, I, I just developed a niche that I found with law enforcement and uh, some of the guys from Fire Up Here and other people that a lot of people in real estate don't get the chance to do. Uh, I think in the military too, like when you serve with somebody you trust them. You've been in stressful situations. You've done those things. And there's a, there's a, a trust that develops to where it doesn't matter what I'm doing in my life, people are going to support you. Yeah. And I it's see that. funny that being in law enforcement up here was the catalyst for me leaving law enforcement. Um, I developed a lot of good relationships there. I try to keep those. They're very important to me. Um, it's probably the hardest thing to not be there because I love those guys and gals and everybody that I worked with. Um, and it, it was actually pretty amazing to me how quickly people started supporting me at my own department. Um, I got busy from within working with people from Coeur d'Alene PD. If you take that big one and loosen it a little bit, you can okay. move the thing up a little bit. Oh. Yeah, there you go. And then tighten it back real, real tight. Okay. Uh, there we go. Okay. That works. All right. <laughs> Got it. Um, and so, you know, I, I started getting busy from within, from guys from Kootenai County Sheriff, from Coeur d'Alene PD, a couple guys from Post Falls. And it got to the point where um, I realized that I might have an opportunity to get out of public safety altogether, which was a hard thing for me to consider doing. Mm -hmm. um, but... I got exactly what I wanted. I told everybody, I said, the, the reason for doing this is that I'll be able to continue to make a living. Um, I have an avenue that I can, I can take care of my family still, and I get to see them when I want. Um, total game changer. It's changed my life completely. I mean, my health, everything. Just being able to come home when I want to, to move my schedule around, to do things like this, um, and not have somebody telling me when I have to come in, or when there's a major event or I'm missing 4th of July with my family or I'm missing Christmas. Um, and I hated that stuff. I wasn't even around for my kids until they were like, I, I, I mean, honestly, the whole time I was a fireman, I, I didn't see my kids a whole lot. Uh, you know, I missed the first steps. I missed the first talk. I missed, you know, a lot of things. And it was hard. And I'm sure you know, I mean, your dad worked a lot too. Yeah. And he's a great dad. Like, I mean, he did so much. I, I, I mean, he talked about you all the time. We had you guys by the station but it was a lot of time away. And uh, it, it gave me that avenue to get out of all of it. Plus, I started law enforcement at 36. I had to go through an academy at 36. Yeah, that's horrible. Not, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm in an academy with a bunch of people. Gabe Jolene, mm -hmm. did yep. you see him recently? I just had him on two days ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so Gabe, 
Yeah, I taught him how to swim. He was five years old, and I'm like teaching <laughs> oh him how to blow gosh. bubbles when I worked at the Yucca Valley uh, pool. And then I'm in an academy with him. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like 20 years old. He looks like he's still five. He has like the biggest baby face. And I'm in there as just the, I'm the old dude. I'm like, oh man. So that was hard too. And I think starting a career like that, I have two, I have two avenues. I have 15 years. However I look at it, I have about 15 years. My retirement's not going to be huge. Uh, you know, it's only going to be partial. And I can either promote quick um, Which I'm sure is hard to do out here because it's a smaller area. So like you said, that opening before was because someone passed away. Sure. And then everybody kind of moves up to fill the ranks. It is, but I, you know, I'm, I'm competitive and I, I put myself in a position where I go, I feel like if I want to, I can do it. Yeah. Um, but it was either I promote really quick and I don't have really the background or the experience as a patrol officer, as a detective, as all these, these different ranks below, you know, moving up, I, I try to get up to lieutenant really quick so mm -hmm. I can boost my retirement so I can, you know, I'm getting old. I got to get off the street. I got to do those things. Yeah. I either do that and I don't necessarily have the background to tell guys how the job's supposed to be done. I don't have enough of it, I don't feel like. Or I'm that guy that stays on patrol for 15 years and I'm getting my butt kicked and not sleeping and working graves and all those things. Um, you know, till I retire. And neither one of those really seemed exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. So yeah, it was just a, it was a good, it was a good change. And this was probably the perfect time for you to switch over into that because this area that you had moved to started booming in oh, yeah. real estate. It did. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have moved up here and there's a lot of struggles from it right now. Mm -hmm. um, our infrastructure is way behind. Yeah, can't take a place that has sixty thousand people, turn it into one hundred twenty thousand people, and not double all the infrastructure, right? And the jobs, and the contractors, and the roads, and all that. Yeah, I was talking to um, some people recently about you know getting things built out here, mm -hmm. and there's not enough contractors out here to build it, so people are waiting forever to yeah. get you know drywall done at their house, right? You know, and. I, I hear people say that they feel like they're getting ripped off whenever they're getting quoted, and that might be true, but I think it's also like you're going to wait like six months before right. you can get this because, you know, that's just the cost of doing business here. Yep. You know? No, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of contractors that I work with. I have quite a few friends that um, are contractors up here, and, you know, they vary in terms of how much they charge and the type of work they do and everything else, but it it got so, so busy that there was a lot of horror stories from people building homes or having stuff like that done and it turning out just, you know, it, it, was, it was almost like people were coming out here because they knew there was work mm -hmm. and they- It was like a rush job? Yes. Yeah. And it's like they didn't have the experience to do it, but they said they would. And then jobs were getting torn down because they weren't done correctly. I had a friend that that happened to, that was a nightmare. Um, and uh, you know, then you're having all these other things happen where people are coming out and they're, they're charging whatever they want because they can, mm -hmm. because somebody wants their, their shower tiled. Right. But I'm not the guy to tile your shower. And it was guys like me that are tiling showers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it caused a lot of frustration out here. So I think you get, I don't think it's as pronounced as it's made out to be on social media and, and yeah. online forums and stuff like that, but it, it's happened a lot. Do, uh, 
the like the barn dominium thing is that gotten more popular out here because of you know over the last few years the covid shutdowns and stuff it was hard to get building supplies lumber costs went through the roof yeah all that is that i think the trailer minium has become trailer minium people living in their trailers inside a shop okay that has been probably way more common than the barn dominium i mean i i can think of probably 10 friends right now that have lived in their shop um and not like a barn dominium like it's an un it's just right, it's a like a giant garage. And they had right, and they have their trailer pulled in there and they have their sofa out and their you know, they got their you know, their TV up on the wall and they got a, you know, fake kitchen and they sleep in their trailer. And people were doing that for a lot over the past couple of years. So, barn dominiums, I think they they got more notoriety than they actually uh yeah. than you actually saw them, but there's there's a few. I looked at one the other day and it was fantastic. It's a it's an awesome concept. What's the the building time looking like for those out here? Um, it, de- it really depends on whether or not you're doing pole barns or stick built. Um, I think pole barns are a little quicker. There's a lot more people that, that throw those up. Um, and you can probably, I mean, at this point, if you get a contractor and you get things going, I mean, you can have a pole barn up in a summer. Um, a stick built, you know, a, a nice shop. I mean, people are still putting those up in, you know, four to eight months, depending mm-hmm. on weather and availability, stuff like that. Yeah, I I told you a little bit before we started the VA loan thing that I've talked about on this podcast a few times. I'm thinking about doing it, and I'm in Texas right now looking at northern northern Texas to do that same thing, but I don't really personally like Texas that much. You know, I'm not a humid weather bug kind of guy, and northern Texas got tornadoes. It's basically Oklahoma. And so I'm like, you know, Rhett, are you listening? This is you, buddy. <laughs> so, oh man, I, you know, I came up here. I had a, you know, I've been up here for a couple of weeks now, and um, I'm like, if I'm going to do this VA loan thing, I would like to probably do it up here because the goal was to always make it up to this part of the country. Anyways, I've been to Montana okay. like five times, and it's all been in the winter, but I'm okay with cold. I love the cold. And I'm here, you know, during springtime and it's beautiful. Right. And I'm like, if I can handle the cold and that's what everybody (laughs) bitches about, then I'll just come here, you know. Um, But talking to people about building and stuff like that, because that's what it is contingent upon. You build a thing. Now, I know that across the country, um, the part of the reason why housing has gone through the roof is because there's a shortage in housing supply. Sure. And creating something like a fourplex, you know, to provide some housing, borrow against it, do it again and again and again and kind of grow that out here. But if the issue is that it's going to take way too long to build it, what are some, I mean, what are some tips or workarounds or is there anything to do that could... Uh, I think the, the biggest thing is to figure out, especially if you're doing any sort of loan, I think it's important to find out what like what the minimums are because a lot of times um, things get inflated. People talk about oh you got to go do all these things, mm-hmm. but when you really look at like the minimums that are required, it's like homesteading back in the forties, thirties. You know, I had to build like a ten by ten structure. You see them all the time out in Wonder Valley. Right. They all look the same. They're just a ten by ten with a roof on it. Doesn't even have windows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is just figuring out exactly what the minimums are um, because once you can establish it, then you have a little more leeway, you have time on your side. I think a lot of people get stuck because there might be, you know, like uh, a lot of people wanted to build out here, but you have to have a water source before you can get your construction loan. 
people are like, well, a well takes right now, you know, 10 to 18 months to get. Really? Yeah. So that stuff's backed up. And so trying to get a well. Is that backed up because the companies that drill are backed up? I, yeah, that's that's my understanding of it. Okay. And I, that falls back to the infrastructure thing. We don't have enough well drillers. Right. I'm not like calling all well drillers to come here. I'm just saying that there's not enough right now. Mm-hmm. And so obviously prices have gone up. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you want to get a loan, you got to get a well. So you can't build your house until you have a well, but you want to build your house now or at least start it, which makes sense. I want to at least pour concrete. I want to at least do these things. And you can't mm-hmm. until you have a water source on site. Yeah, I also heard that um, it costs like a minimum of 10 grand, whether they find water or not. That, I, man, I don't know. I know that people have paid upwards of $60,000 for a well. And that's a lot of money. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I won't be coming up here. <laughs> you know what? But the, the thing is, is that you can find a good five acre parcel mm-hmm. up here with water, yeah. with electricity on it, and you can find it for less than 300. So people that want to come up and, and you know, want to buy the cheap properties, they're going to spend a lot of money on those utilities. Yeah. There's a lot of developers that have come up here and already put in roads and already put in, you know, the utilities and everything else because they can do it all at once. And that allows them, obviously, way more marketable property. So I mean, I, that's my advice to anybody coming up here is try to find, there's a lot of five-acre parcels, 10-acre parcels that have a well, have you know, a septic permit already, have electricity to it. I mean, that's the way to go. If you yeah. get your utilities, you can live in a trailer if you have to. Mm-hmm. And at least you own it and you can move forward. Um, even if you own the land, you can refi, you can do the things that you need to do to get your loan at that point. Yeah, my my goal was to get the land for as cheap as possible because I knew that everything else is going to be more expensive. It's going right. to take longer than they say it's going to take. Everything's going to end up being more expensive. There's going to be delays, permitting, right. all that stuff. Do you have a link to this VA uh, loan can, that you can send me? Yeah, here, let me. I, yeah, I can send it to you. I mean, I can take a look later. I just, it's something that I want to look into. I mean, I can send you the... Uh, Probably just the basic VA site. Right. Yeah, and I'll look into it because I have not heard about that. Um, From what I understand, it's pretty new. Um, And I think it's, in order to qualify, it's like 640 minimum credit score. Um, Oh boy, don't go into credit score things right now. No? All the new stuff that came out with credit scores, that's everybody's. Oh, I don't know what, I don't know what oh. that is. We might have to go into oh, it. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so this is like the VA benefits pamphlet thing for it. I'll send you the link. Okay. Come on. Tell me about credit scores. Oh, so I'm surprised. You, you seem to be really up to date on all this stuff. The new thing they came out with, uh, was supposed to start May 1st about credit scores. If your credit score is over a certain amount, you're going to be charged an additional uh, fee or percentage, and if your credit score, and it's to subsidize uh, high-risk mortgages. So people that have a credit score under, I think 640 was the number, that have a lower credit score uh, pay less of a fee, and it's subsidized by the people that have a good credit score. Did, so that's like a real thing that passed? Yeah. I they, thought it was just like, you know, they always say like, the end of the world, and then it doesn't actually pass. No, supposedly it's out there. I mean, they came in, we had somebody come in the other day, I couldn't understand it fully because apparently I'm not that smart, but he got up there and had a chart and was explaining it and kind of how it's going to work. 
And he, he described it, he goes, it's not the end of the world if you mm-hmm. have a good credit score. It's really not going to be as bad as you think. But I think the uproar is just like anything else. I, um, and I'm not even saying that stuff like this doesn't need to happen because you need to be able to have people buy homes. Sure. But um, you know, I think people are frustrated. They're like, hey, I've had a great credit score my whole life. I've paid everything off and this person hasn't. And now I have to pay a percentage so that they can get a break. Yeah. And you're seeing a lot of that. And I, th- I think... It just gets it gets tossed around on, like I said, social media sites, everything else. People get upset. So that is taken from you in the interest rate. So if you were approved for eight percent interest, it's just going to be nine percent interest now. It, I I don't think it's that. I think it's your. I th- I'm pretty sure it's that you're paying points or or something like that. Uh, let's see. I can see if I can find it on here. Yeah, they, they came out with something the other day, and it's been all over the news. I mean, I guess that doesn't. If if it has to do with the interest rate. It doesn't really matter if you buy at a certain time because it's re, you're, you can refinance. Absolutely. So we're really, I mean, in the last 20 years, we're really high as far as interest rates goes. But, you know, I look at things from a macro geopolitical perspective and they're basically, you know, force feeding us almost World War Three. Yeah. They're doing everything possible to get us into that. And if that's oh, yeah. the case, even if it's a proxy <clears throat> war and we're not even boots on the ground with it, right. the only way you can pay for that is by lowering interest rates. Right. So if that's the case, then I'm not really too worried about the interest rate thing. Yeah, and I think what it says here, it says, so uh, for example, if you have a credit score of 659 and are borrowing 75% of the home's value, you will pay a fee equal to 1.5% of the loan balance. Before these changes, you would have had to pay 2.75%. So the lower interest rates are getting, they're, they're getting fees that are less. So those purchasing fees. So yeah, it's, it's basically giving them a cut on their closing costs. So if you have a, a lesser interest rate, you're, so it seems like it pertains mostly to closing costs and what you're paying. So your upfront fees okay. are going to be way less if your interest rate or if your credit score is really low, as opposed to if it's high, you're mm-hmm. going to pay more on, on front of that. So I guess if you know how to move your credit score up and down <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> I know some people you know just how to move it down. have a 600 credit score when you go to buy and then move it yes. up really quickly. And <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got to call my my buyers. They're like, oh, my credit isn't good. I'd be like, well, you're in luck. So <laughs> I can help you out. Okay. Um, so... What would you say are the differences between buying land versus buying property up in this area as far as the process goes? So the <clears throat> the process isn't too bad. I mean, obviously cash is king. That's a lot of the people that are buying properties up here, they, they have the cash to do it. So, and that gives them the flexibility to buy something that doesn't necessarily conform to lending guidelines and stuff like that. But for people that want land, I just, for if you don't have the cash to buy land, I almost hesitate to say that you should. Um, there's certain circumstances where you say, yeah, this is a cool investment. Um, I got a guy from County Fire that bought some land up here. He wants to build on it one day. It's more of like a 10-year investment. He's not going to start building on it until he you know, gets to a certain point in his career. That makes sense. So um, you know, I got a, a lender up here that does good with the weird, quirky um, land loans. And uh, you know, he bought that and it works out well for him. But if, if you're struggling with finances and you're like, well, my dream is still, I want to buy this land, I want to build on it, I want to do all this, and it's all, all stuff that you have to finance, I th- think 
it makes more sense to try to find something that already exists on land and buy it. It's easier. You know what you're getting. There's no variables. You know, you're not dealing with like, well, how much are costs going to go up on wood? Or, or you know, am I going to be able to find a contractor? How deep's the well going to be? Like, there's a lot of variables. Sure. And that stuff takes a lot of money. So, I mean, to be blunt, if, if you're trying to finance all that stuff and it, it's kind of penny pinching, I just don't see it being the right choice to buy land and, and, uh, and build on it. Um, it's a dream that a lot of people have, but the truth is, is that I, for me personally, I want to build one day, but I know that I have a threshold where I'm like, I have to have so much right. because I'm not going to go through the process of being hit with a $60,000 well when I budgeted for 30 and it's something that's out of my control. I know when I go to buy a house that already has a well, it's already there. Those, everything's already done. And I know what my costs are going to be. So yeah. So in the case of like a VA loan or something that's government backed, mm-hmm. are they as quick to raise prices on that stuff, or are they allowed to raise prices on those kinds of things with that loan? What do you mean raise prices? On? Like you got approved for it's thirty thousand, but now it costs sixty sixty thousand. Yeah, I don't think that's. I think they can do. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, and then it just okay. I don't think they're regulated by that at all. I mean, okay. That's the thing. You're going to have a lot of private contractors that come in just because you're approved for a certain amount. Yeah. If you go to find that bid, it's kind of like when you get those bids and they say, hey, this is good for 60 days. And then you come back in 60 days and I'm like, oh, it's another $5,000. Yeah, because I know that um, a lot of people won't even touch VA loans because of the regulation or whatever on it. I don't know if it's a little bit looser now, but I know that when it came to appraisal and stuff for my house, um, like there was a lot of people that didn't even want to, they didn't even want to touch the whole VA loan thing. So that from California, I heard that too. Mm-hmm. And I have had no issues with VA loans up here. Mm. The only thing that I've, I don't know, like tell everybody to get VA loans, but the only thing I've seen called out in Idaho is the roof. Now I'm sure that there's other things they call out. I'm not, I, I'm not, you know, I've only been doing this for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. um, I've only had, I've probably had a, a half a dozen, a dozen VA loans go through. And the only thing that I've seen called out on a, an appraisal is a roof. We're down in California, I'd always hear stuff like, oh, the railing, this is bad, and this needs to be painted, and this has to have vapor barrier, and you know, all these different things. Right. I've, I just haven't seen it up here. Mm, okay. I'm, I'm trying to learn, man, because I, I do I, love this area. I really like it here. I like how small it is, and even if it grows, like, there's gonna be that flush that happens every winter. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of keeps everybody oh, yeah. in. I got people who are leaving right now. Yeah. Well, have you seen, they, is, has it, <laughs> The pendulum swung the other way enough to where it kind of keeps things no. going at a relatively slow pace. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. It's uh, it's so busy right now, and I, maybe I'm just very, very fortunate. I know that I've been slammed. Um, it's kind of one of those jobs that when I when I have to work, I need to work. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't think I really did much of anything from November to February, <laughs> and that was like, and I was pretty happy with it. I'm like, this is freaking cool. I worked my butt off all summer. I was pissed that it was not boating season when I wasn't doing anything, but it was nice. Um, so yeah, right now, I mean, it's heating up. I think we had just the other day, what did we have? We had, uh, in three days, we've had 140 properties at the market and we've had another 70 go pending. Wow. So, I mean, um, those are rough numbers, but you're basically having half the amount of properties that are coming on the market go pending. Yeah. Um, and that's that's keeping us that's keeping the market moving for sure. Is that all Californians or is it no no? Well, <laughs> they, everybody says it is. I know it. 
it's funny because you know who's from California. It's like, oh, where are you from? And they're like, oh, uh, <laughs> and you're like, bro, we're. <laughs> Everybody up here has got some California background somewhere. <laughs> like when I meet a native Idahoan, I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. Like <laughs> this, is, this is a beautiful place. I'm sorry if I screwed it up. Like <laughs> there's like 10 of them. Um, and uh, for the most part, you know, people that call themselves locals usually have a history too. Yeah. I mean, I just did a couple interviews. We're doing some videos right now and I got to go to Fig Pickles downtown and uh, it's a cool little toy store. In fact, they do more volume than any other store in the Western region of the United States. Toy store? Yes. They have over 50,000 sales in over 12 weeks in the summer. That's it. Where other toy stores, a person will walk in every couple hours. They, there's people there all day long. Like Legos? No, no, no. So you need to go to Fig Pickles. Yeah. It's a cool toy store, very retro. They have a lot of, um, you know, it's no video games or anything else. A lot of toys from when we were kids are there. Okay. You can get a light right there. Okay. And uh, what's the, um, there's like the sketch one where you have like the uh, wheels. The et- Etch-A-Sketch? No, it's it's like you, they had the little wheels that look like yeah. gears. I'm trying to remember. I can't even remember. Well, they had that there yesterday too. Okay. But, you know, their story, they call themselves locals. They've been here for 20 years. And, uh, you know, they're from New York. Um, so a lot of people that are quote unquote local, I mean, this area didn't have a whole lot. Yeah, okay. Years and years ago. So I mean, I was talking to uh, I think it was Tom Robinson, tax that's, guy. That's here. my tax guy. That's your tax guy. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I was talking. To, I had I had him on um, a couple days ago too, and you know, I was like, I when it came to Idaho, mm-hmm. I didn't really know anything about Idaho except maybe I heard that there was potatoes that were grown here. Yeah, that's mostly. I think that's mostly Oregon, to be honest. Well, I was talking to a couple of farmers in eastern Washington, yeah. and they were saying that a lot of potatoes are just grown there because of the weather there right. and the way that they can do irrigation and stuff now. Idaho does have potatoes, but a big majority of them are grown in Washington. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I bet you the majority are over in Oregon and Washington for yeah. sure. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But I, it's curious to me that a toy store is doing so well. Like I would love to find out what their secret sauce is because yeah, it's it is it's crazy. It's just it's a very interactive store. I mean, I, it's a place that since we've been coming up here in 2014, we we never walk past Fig Pickles. You know, we kind of we kind of uh-huh. walk. We see it as we're walking by, and we're like, oh well, we'll enter the shops through Fig Pickles. You know, we'll, we'll walk <laughs> through there because there's just always stuff to just look at. It's yeah, um, it's kind of like Bucky's in Texas. Yeah, well, okay, Bucky's is like <laughs> insane. I just learned about this the other day. There's squirrels everywhere. Is it a squirrel or a oh, beaver? I think it's a beaver. Well, whatever it is, I, it's weird to see people wearing board shorts with Bucky's on it. Yeah, because like the signs on the the freeway, it'll be like Bucky's in. 272 miles, uh, beavers and bathrooms or something like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, they, they do a phenomenal job and it was actually really neat to go around. That's one of the things I'm doing for, for real estate. Funny enough, I'm not talking at all about, it's not about me being a real estate agent. It's actually more trying to highlight these cool mom and pop places in Coeur d'Alene that just are, are phenomenal. And I don't, I don't think people realize when you walk into a, a Toys R Us, which doesn't exist anymore anymore, but you walk into a toy store you don't. You just see it as a business. Like, oh, this place is cool. You know, they're here to make money. But when you talk to the owners, you're like, man, you guys really have a passion for this. Like, I told them, I was like, it, it, the store has taken on your your personality. 
And I'm like, I don't mean that in a negative way. Like it's got so much and so many things and it's so exciting and they're the same way. Um, and talking to them was like, man, it's really cool to hear that. We went to Bear Paw Cookies too, talked to, um, I believe that was Lois and Ed over at Bear Paw and, uh, you know, just locals. They, they opened up back in 2020, not far long ago, 2019. Yeah. And uh, they're all about relationships. You know, they didn't open it up to make money. It was the wife's dream. And she's like, I, I want to have a little bakery. She yeah. let me make a crepe yesterday. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, then we were at Paragon Brewing too. Another local, uh, the, the guy that owns it, Chris, and his wife, Carrie, you know, he's a fireman here locally with Coeur Fire. And they have this brew house. And once again, they're just super passionate about locals and having local spots and... Um, you know, they're not, that they, they're not millionaires. They don't, they wouldn't come off that way anyways. None of these people do, but they have these very successful businesses in town that get a ton of notoriety and it's all from their hard work and just their heart to, to actually bring something to town. So, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's, that's really why I'm doing this podcast to highlight those types of people. Yeah. You know, you, you listen to a podcast and this isn't saying that they aren't entertaining, but it's all celebrities. It's all like right. these people with these like super flamboyant personalities and stuff. But like we're getting, ironically, as we get more involved in social media, which is supposed to connect us, we're getting more disconnected with each other. Oh, the yeah. like human aspect of things, how we do business, you know, the, the interpersonal relationships, it, we're getting so disconnected and you're not seeing those regular people talking. And most of those people, I feel like, have imposter syndrome you know they don't feel like their voice is big enough or like that they haven't been through enough because they're getting this fake reality from when they look at their social media other people's lives are better than mine and it's you're clearly like every time i talk to somebody or i'm like hey you're the first person that didn't say i'm nervous man i don't know if i want to do this right you're the first person to say that everybody i've talked to i've had to be like no, chill out. It's just a conversation. <laughs> like after you start talking, you forget the mics are there. Right. You know, um, they they feel like they don't have a voice. But if we're going to highlight the mom and pop shops, we're going to highlight these people, the right. the small business uh, enigma, if you want to call it, in the country. That when that's successful and everybody's working together and it's running smoothly, the country's going to be successful regardless of what the macro economy is doing or geopolitics and all that stuff. But you know, the goal that I have, this is just kind of like the marketing arm connect people thing. But right. the goal I have for my business is to be able to distill all of the geopolitics and the macroeconomics in the world down to the small business, you know, because that stuff is important. But for, you know, someone that owns a bakery in Idaho, they're not thinking about how China invading Taiwan is going to affect them. No. They don't have time to think about that. Nope. But it is important. Or like the banking system. Oh, yeah. Everything that's going on with, with banking right now and then the talk of cryptocurrency and central bank digital currencies and the government working with BlackRock and all these giant... Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's Gosh. like all of that stuff is is so important to understand because if you're not paying attention, it's going to sneak up on you. You're going to be like, dude, what? Right. What just happened? Right. You know, and I worry about the small business community not paying attention to any of those things, but someone's got to be there to protect it, mm-hmm. you know? No, it's true. And, and it's funny because we're so connected now with everything. It's not the way we were supposed to live. You know, it, it's really not. We take in so much information and we're listening to other people's stories and inputting them into our lives. Um, 
you know, we're not supposed to necessarily know what is going on on the other side of the world, but now it's a necessary evil. You got to know what's going on because it does. It affects businesses and everything else. But because of that, because we're so affected, you know, there was a, there was a, what they had a mall shooter down in Texas the other yeah, day. Yeah, Allen, Allen, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, horrible. Like, let's just get that off the table and just say it's a, it's a horrible experience. I'm not trying to get in anything That's like on that. 15, 20 minutes from where I live. Right. Yeah. And it, it, granted, there's an argument to say, hey, you know, we need to be aware. We need to make sure that, um, you know, we don't want this to happen here in our hometown. Like, it, it's a horrible thing. It, it destroys communities. I mean, it, it, it breaks things up. It's, it's not a good thing. But there's also part of me that sits here and I'm like, what? Like, that's horrible. But why am I up here? Why, why am I? Do- Too many people dwell on those things right. that are going on somewhere else. And I'm like, hey, I, I've told my wife and everything else. I'm like, man, when all the power goes out and everything goes bad and the, the phone lines are shut off, everything's down. I'm like, we're going to see how we were meant to live mm-hmm. where you have North Idaho <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're relying on each other to get food yep. and fuel and stay warm in the winter. And you got to actually commute. You know, it's so funny when you go to third world countries, I have friends that go to Nepal every year and we're like, what do you do when you're over there? What, what do the people do? over in these Nepal villages and they're like, they just sit there at night and they have a fire and they just play music and they just, they just hang out with each other. And I'm like, that's crazy. It yeah. sounds so foreign, but yet they have nothing mm-hmm. and they're so much happier than people over here. Yeah, and I mean, because I'm like, ever since I left home, it's always been like, go, 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 go. I'm living yeah. in cities or I'm in the military and it's always doing something. So when I get to a place where everything's chilled out, mm-hmm. it takes me like a week to like settle down. Because yeah. at first, whenever I hit that, nothing's happening. I feel like I'm like, I'm being lazy. I got to do something. Right. And it, it takes me like a minute to like decompress from all that stuff. But I was talking to um, uh, Kyle Porter and uh, Dallas Hintz, the two farmers in Washington. There's nothing out there. Farming is their life. That's what they do. That's what they think about every day. That yeah. and their families. That's it. And I was telling them, like, you know, I'm in Dallas, and it's almost like a physical release of stress. Whenever I leave Dallas and I'm in open country, I just feel better. You know, and people who aren't paying attention to it, they're not right. like very aware of what's going on with their body. They're not going to pay attention. But I'm like, dude, it. There's something to this, like, not living in this lifestyle. Right, where you're so connected to everybody, like you said, and and having that shooting, it's like it's awful. Yes, it's awful, but shootings happen all the time. Yeah, they do. Hurricanes happen all the time. You know, tsunamis happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it, that's happening all the time. But I don't need to take on all of the world's problems on my shoulders every right. time it happens. You know, I know. But and people people want to talk about those things all the time. I'm like, man, I just don't have time to talk about this negative event that happens somewhere else in the world. Like I, I don't, I'm exhausted from just my own day sure. and I have other things that are important to me and that's not one of them. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, just too much. And the, and the real estate market's one of those things where everybody has an opinion about it and it's such a difficult thing now for me to manage because it's so money-based. Yeah. I deal with people and hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars every day and it gets exhausting because it brings out the worst in some people. I mean, I'll have people on million dollar transactions fighting over $200 and I'm like, good Lord. I'll give you $200. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, to, just to stop. Like, I mean, 
And uh, you know, I think that's probably the hardest thing about real estate for me is that um, that you get a lot of negativity, and uh, it. You know, people ask the number one question everybody asks me in real estate, and like, hey, where do you think the market's going? I'm like, well, I don't know. If I knew, then I would be a millionaire. Yeah. I, you know, I'd have, I'd have all things. If we all knew, and you know, they'll bring up, well, this person says it's going to go this way, and I, I believe that. And I'm like, that's, that's fantastic. Then, you know, throw your money in the pot and go, go do that because half the people are going to be right, half the people are going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. If we all knew, then. Yes, it'd be a safe investment. I, I tell people when they're buying a home because they want to know, do you think the value is going to go up in the home? I'm like, look, the first home that I ever bought, we bought for uh, $350,000. It was my wife's grandparents' home. When they built it in the late 60s, it was $38,000. Okay, $38,000. Probably like a song. 12% interest or something. It, something crazy, yeah. yeah. And they built it for $38,000. We bought it for three hundred and fifty. I promise you, the only thing I can tell you in real estate is that that's never going to be worth thirty-eight thousand dollars again. Mm-hmm. And it's not because the market's hot right now; it's because of inflation. Right? There's too much money out there now. So when people ask me, like, "Hey, do you think it'll be worth more?" I'm like, "Tomorrow, maybe not. Two years from now, maybe not. Five years from now, maybe not. But yeah, ten years, yeah, it's going to be worth more. Twenty years, it's going to be worth more. It's just going to happen. So if you're going to buy a house," you're trying to do an investment, you need to do your own research. Yep. But if you're going to buy something for your family, don't worry about the value of it. Look at a place that you like, that you're going to be happy. If it goes to $0 and it's not worth a single dime on Zillow, God, if I could keep people off of Zillow, <laughs> that would just save half of my day. But if, uh, if, if it goes to worth $0 on Zillow, are you happy living there? Is it a good community? Are your kids safe? Do you, do you have the things that you need? Are you happy going out in your backyard or going out in your front yard? Are you, are you happy? Mm-hmm. Can you um, make the payment? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who cares? I mean, a lot of people say like, oh, if the government goes down, I don't, I'm not paying anything. Well, whatever. Can okay. you make the payment? And are you happy there? If you're happy there, then who cares what it's worth? That's the position I'm in. Yeah. Um, luckily, we bought ours before everything. But, you know, when we bought it at 450. Mm-hmm. I remember saying to my wife, I'm like, it'll never be worth 450 again. Like, it's going to drop. There's yeah. no way. And now, I mean, it went up to almost 900 plus, and now we're down to like high sevens. Yeah. So we lost a little bit over the past year, and I'm like, who cares? I keep paying attention to this stupid thing, and honestly, I'm happy living here. So if we can't move, we can't move. If we don't have to sell it, it is what it is. Sure. Yeah, whenever I bought my house in Vegas, um, I think I bought it in 2017. I bought it for, it was listed for 275 and like you were saying about fighting over the 200 bucks and stuff, they, I couldn't pay all of the closing costs and stuff. Right. I think it was like 3,500 or something I couldn't pay. And so what the seller did was they said, okay, well, we'll sell it to you for 278. And in my like unknowledgeable brain, I was like, why would you increase? Blah, blah, blah. But then my, my realtor was like, listen, you have to extrapolate that over the entire length of the loan. Mm-hmm. Three grand is only like, it was like 12 bucks or something more in your payment a month. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. So I paid your closing costs. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Okay. So they paid part of it. And, you know, I got to move into this house that I wanted. That house was, huh? You still have it? Not anymore. Okay. So uh, I bought that house because I was going to invest with that house. In the area that it was in, it was gated. And then I saw master plans for the area. They were going to build it up 
big stores. I think they were going to put a golf course or two near it. All this stuff was planned for it. But at the time, it was like, we're coming up on that like 10, 15 year market cycle where things are going to dip. But I was like, I'll get a 30 year fixed. I made sure that the payment was um, less than how much I was making in my VA disability so that I knew that even if I lost my job, I lost everything, I could still pay the note on that house. Right. I didn't have to worry about that. They're being responsible. Right. Thank so, you. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that and I knew that, okay, if, even if it dips 10, 15 years down the road, if we're following this market cycle, it's going to shoot back up. A um, few years went by and then the COVID thing happened and I ended up deciding, I, I had like a 2.5% interest on it, so it's still debatable whether or not I should have got rid of that. Yeah. But I needed cash at the time. And um, I decided to sell it, and I made almost two hundred thousand dollars on the sale of it. In four years, I made two hundred grand because it shot up, right? Which is like unheard of. But I wasn't expecting that to happen for like another decade, and it happened in four years. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's a it's a big thing. But I was looking at, you know, what was happening in Vegas at the time was different than what was happening in Dallas or Coeur d'Alene or, you know. Omaha, Nebraska, right? And real estate is regional. Even though you'll hear in mainstream media or business news, they're going to say like the housing market's down. It's like, well, it, you can't say that for the entire market because everywhere is different. Oh, totally. And clearly, up here, it's. I mean, you, you're busy right now, yeah. but in Vegas, my house that I sold at the top of the market is now like seventy grand less. Jeez. So it's like I, I sold it at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. But that was just on a, you know, I kind of did my own research and I'm just kind of, okay, I'm going to make this decision. Hopefully it happens. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of people that got lucky and, uh, the, you know, people that get lucky, they think they can do it over and over and it's like, that's just not, just not how it is. Mm -hmm. it, it, real estate's a long-term game. Right. Um, and, you know, you bring up like uh, BlackRock and stuff like that. I mean, there's certain investors that are going to come in and they can clean house and they have the funds to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, a big part of why it all shot up was because BlackRock was, or Blackstone here in the United States, yeah, was no. was uh, outbidding people. Right. There's bidding wars, and Blackstone comes in, we'll give you 80 grand more. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I think something that's added to a lot of it, and I, I hate bringing this up because, man, some people get pissed about this, but is the Airbnb thing. Mm -hmm. You talk about the fact there's not enough houses. It's a lot of people that own you know, six, 10 Airbnbs. Like they own a lot of them. Yeah. And that's awesome. I, I'm not even, I'm not against that at all. I'm just making a point that that's six to 10 houses that a family can't get into. And when you have a place that's a Mecca for that, whether it's Tampa Bay, whether it's Joshua Tree, whether that's, I mean, you look at Joshua Tree, there, there's not a huge income base out there. There's not a lot of people making right. six figures in Joshua Tree or that can afford a house that's $400,000, $500,000, but investors can. And so, I mean, all of a sudden you take a community like that. Um, I just went back the first time in four years. You take a community like that and a bunch of people own those properties. Next thing you know, the people that live there can't afford it there and they're moving out. And then all of a sudden, I mean, then you see a decline in things. So even downtown Coeur d'Alene, I mean, it's become a big contentious issue here is, you know, the Airbnbs, how many will we allow? Where can they be? How many per street? They're talking about all this stuff downtown because you can't have every house downtown be a rental. You just right. can't. Well, yeah, and plus it's not even like a real rental. Right. Because it's 
almost as much per night as you would pay per month for a long-term normal rental. Oh, yeah. So it's like, it, I don't know. And then they add all the fees on top of it. It's like, mm -hmm. it's good for the investor, I guess, if somebody's still coming to, sure. to do it per night. But the issue that I see in a lot of these... I think this area is a little different, but like somewhere like Yucca, because it's so low wage everywhere else, and the only reason that it's grown the way it has is because it got trendy. Oh, yeah. Well, that area doesn't offer anything other than a tourist destination. Joshua National Park. Yeah, that's it. Yep. There's nothing else out there. I know. So it's like, if there's no, looking at from like a state level, economic crash happens. That means everybody in the city that thought it was trendy to go out to Joshua Tree can't afford it. Now you have all these people that bought homes at the top of the market yep. paying $600,000 for oh. a house that's a, a just a piece of shit. A dump. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And now they're in over their head with this loan because in their head they're like, well, I'm going to rent it for 1200 a night. <laughs> and now they can't pay their note on it. I know. It's like the area doesn't have anything to export. So whenever things go wrong, the state's going to look at areas where what, what does your town or your city have to offer the state? Right. We'll give subsidies and we'll help you guys stay afloat if you have something to provide. Mm -hmm. That area doesn't. It's just tourism. And I think that's why every single crash that's happened, Las Vegas has been hit so hard. Yeah. Because that's all it is is tourism out there. It's true. Now, Nevada is, as a whole is different because they're a big exporter of like silver and and things like that. And now lithium, big lithium projects out there. So I think they're going to turn that state around. But, you know, it's just... Because we want a bunch of lithium mines now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, a bunch of massive holes. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of all that stuff. <laughs> I've been, I'll try not to rub start you. <laughs> um, do you want to take a break? Yeah, let's okay. do it. All right. All right, so we're going to back this up to when Dave was a child. <laughs> where, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Yucca Valley, California, right outside of Palm Springs. Um, yeah, I, Yucca Valley, Joshua Tree until, well, I guess I was there for 36 years. So. I think your phone is, oh. I hear the I moved NSA it. tapping in. <laughs> <laughs> they can, whatever they want. I don't care. <laughs> Okay, so, well, I grew up there, too, and you were born in 84. 83. 83, man, I was I close. I was I so 40 this year. You're almost, you're almost 10 years older than me. Okay. Is it that close? Yeah. It doesn't feel that close when I'm in my 20s and you're like a teenager. I'm like, it's yeah, I guess. way behind me. Yeah. Uh, what's, what schools did you go to? You go to Yucca High? Yeah, I went to all the local schools. Uh, what, Yucca Valley Elementary, La Contena, Yucca High, and then I went to University of Redlands for college. Okay. You play sports? Yeah. I was no good at them, but I mean, I played them. Really? <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, yeah. Um, started out in high school playing football, basketball, baseball. Ended up playing basketball and running cross country by my senior year. Um, and then, uh, obviously, I wanted to play in college. And I found out, so I actually tried out in college to play baseball and basketball. And I will say that I was the, I called myself the best non-athlete at the University of Redlands. So I was like the last guy cut from the basketball team mm. and the last guy cut from the baseball team. So I almost made it. So that's kind of like 
on the playground whenever people are picking teams yeah. and you're in the middle and you're like, yes. Right. I killed it in <laughs> intramural sports. That's good. I killed it in intramural sports. That was like the best one out there. I was like, let's do it. <laughs> Which one was your favorite? For sports? Yeah. Oh, dude, basketball was it. Really? I love playing. I can't watch it. If I go to a basketball game, I'll leave in five minutes. I can't. Yeah. It's so boring to me. Wow. That's, that's kind of how I feel about baseball. Oh, really? Yeah, or golf. Oh, you can't watch golf. No, I know. Yes. Even NASCAR. Oh. Like, you can't watch NASCAR, but it, you ever been to a race? Oh, I used to work them. Oh, that's right. Fontana yeah, the, Speedway. Yeah, that's right. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I was got, a kid, so it wasn't... Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah. I got kicked out of the ESPN sports booth up there. Those were so oh. fun. I think they closed that Speedway down. Really? I'm pretty sure they closed it. Oh. So what is it? Just a... I, let me look this up, because... I feel like they... Yeah, I was there. I, I was working one day and they had, it was like, you know, 190 degrees in Fontana and they called for a couple of medics uh, to come help at the medical tent out front because people needed IVs. And myself and Travis Van Holten, um, buddy of mine, we both got sent out there and the doctor's like, what are you guys doing here? And I said, well, they said they needed people to start IVs. He goes, I don't need you. So we were walking back and we're like, dude, we're in uniform. Like, let's see where we can go. So we walked... You know, we kept bypassing security. We'd walk up and they just let us through doors because we got, you know, we're in uniform. Uh -huh. and so we went up to the very top to watch the race. And uh, we snuck in the ESPN booth where they're like doing like the main broadcasting. We just walked up to the door and the guy just opened it for us. We're like, all right. You know, they, don't, they don't know. I don't know if he yeah. thought I was a cop. Thought I, I don't know. But we walked in there and, you know, we're watching them do like the main broadcast, the start. It was actually pretty cool. Like photo bombing. Yeah. And I remember we hear this tapping on the window behind us. And uh, we look back, it's Chief Nunez. He's looking at us, oh, shh. He's like, I just saw you on TV. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my gosh. So we snuck out of there, but. Okay, so this looks like it said, uh, California's Auto Club Speedway will be transformed into a half-mile short track. For what? For NASCAR. That's so stupid. A half-mile? Yeah. That's dumb. dizzy. I know. <laughs> and those are the boring NASCAR races to watch, the ones with the shorter tracks. Well, wasn't it? it it's like a two-mile track right now, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Okay. So they're not getting rid of it, but they're making it smaller. That's exciting. That's stupid. I mean, go NASCAR. Whoever likes NASCAR, just not my thing. Apparently, it's not very popular with a bunch of the drivers, which oh. I concur. Just a bunch of bots arguing on there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny, like, um, older people and, like, Facebook and all that stuff came out. They're like, what is this face page? You know, all that crap. I'm never going to use that. And now if you look at all the old people, they're all on Facebook with yeah. their head, you know, the glasses on the brim of their nose and they're oh, yeah. watching. Yeah. And then arguing with bots. Well, it's that's why we can't stay on subject because that's it's because of Facebook and things like yeah. that. I go to bed talking about one thing and next thing you know, I'm watching, like, polar bears pooping in the water and it's <laughs> hilarious so anyways i digress where were we california speedway oh so the uh yeah i, I would work those too yeah i would come and i was the cute kid so it was either a guy in uniform or it was the cute kid that would walk around with the, <laughs> the boot for was it muscular dystrophy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i loved it i like i love doing yeah, all fill that the boot. Was so, yeah fill the boot okay um i love doing all that stuff um and that was my first exposure to NASCAR, and I love going to the track. But if you're watching it on TV, I have to tell people, like, 
you have to go to it. But even when you're there, you don't watch the full race. No. You watch the beginning, and then you watch some in the middle, and then you watch the end. Right. You know, because like those are when most of the the crashes are going to happen, and that's really all anybody cares to watch. Yeah. But I did want to ask you, because you said something about IVs and stuff. Was there people that were like, just give me the bag, and they were walking around drinking or pouring oh, no. pouring alcohol into the IV bag and <laughs> no, stuff No, like I didn't. No, because I didn't. Uh, they had a medical tent, and we actually went out there, but we didn't. Okay. They didn't have us do anything. And when we were there, we were just for crashes. Oh, okay. So we basically sat there. One person had to be in gear. Gotcha. It's like, the, it's, like I said, it's like 110 degrees outside, and you're in gear, Ugh. just sitting there, yeah. doing nothing. So that was horrible. So we, Do you think that or the mascot's worse, like the Dalmatian okay, dog I, or whatever? <laughs> I have been the mascot for so long. <laughs> I've been the Easter Bunny. I've been Sparky. Um, I don't think they made me do the mascot up here, which is pretty nice. I think it was just because I was older and there were okay. younger people. Haley Bestman, or no, Haley or Kristen have the best personalities to be Sparky up here or whatever. What's the police dog? Um. McGruff or something. McGruff, yeah, there I think we go. It's McGruff. Yeah. They have the personalities for that. <laughs> but uh, well, if it stops working out with real estate, you could always go be the Chuck E. Cheese mouse. No, you didn't see my post the other day. Uh-uh. If real estate doesn't work out, I'm going to Costco. Dude, you'll be waiting there. You might put in your application now. No, Bullcrap. They, I have a hat already. I, uh, in fact, I walked through Costco with a Costco hat. Sell on the, the, other day. the branch manager or whatever a uh, house, yeah. and then you got the end. I'm. I would be the best greeter there. <laughs> I would I would love it. I've told people forever. They're like, what's your retirement plan? I'm like, Costco. Would you chase people down if they don't have their membership? No, I don't card? care. They're not going to be able to check out. What do I care? Uh, okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. Why do they even be there? I don't know. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Levels Half the time security. I'm showing them the wrong credit card anyways, and they're yeah. like, oh, come on in. All right. Um, I did have a reason for asking you about your, your childhood. So you went into like service. Okay. It was like a service thing. Did you have any aspirations to do that kind of, it, like, I was five years old when I said I wanted to join the military, but I didn't know my whole childhood what that actually meant. Yeah. Did you have some kind of thing where you wanted to help the public, or was there some big event that happened in your life that kind of drove you toward? You know, I think, I think a lot of it, I, I like having meaning in my life. I, I joke about this a lot of times, and once again, this is one thing that happens on podcasts, you can just piss some people off, but... Go like, for it. Dude. I, I, don't even care. I don't even have that many <laughs> listeners. So. Like I, I would always uh, hear people say like, "Oh, I wanna, I wanna do this. I wanna." I, I highlight girls, and I, I shouldn't, but you know, I'll hear things like, "Oh, I want to be a model," and I'm like, "Well, how does that contribute to society? Like, how does that give back to somebody? How does that make this a better place?" And it, there might be ways that it does, um, but I just don't see it. And I think for me, it was always trying to figure out like, how can I how can I give back to a community? How can I be involved? How can I move to Coeur d'Alene and not just be somebody that's just taking? And how can I be somebody that's like productive in society and doing something that is important? You know, when you play the, the Sims games, there, there's certain things that you, you need a, a library, you need a gas station, you need a police station, you need a fire station, like you need a hospital. You need these things to, to build the city. There's certain things that you don't need. If they never existed, sure, nobody cares. And uh, so anyways, I, I just, I got to the point where I was like, I, I want to do something. And that's, I think, one of my biggest struggles with real estate. I know it's important. People need to get in houses. But I, I have a little trouble right now figuring out, like, how am I contributing? So I think that's 
why I go around and why I'm trying to do videos like with Fig Pickles and Paragon and try to highlight local businesses and just network. Yeah. I think that's where I, I get excited about it now. But I don't think there was ever a time that um, I just, I like being involved in stuff. I mean, I, dude, I was an ASB in oh, okay. high yeah. school, right? Yeah. I built like. So you've always had this very outgoing, charismatic personality? Yeah. 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 I, I think one, once I get comfortable, yeah. Mm. You know, I, I've done a lot of like emceeing. I've, I've done a lot of, I actually married Gabe and Jordan. Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah. yeah, that's right. They asked me to marry him. I'm like, really? And then I had three other people ask me to do weddings for him. I'm like, what's happening? This isn't my thing. So did you do like the three hour online or ordained? It's not three hours. It's like, I could get you, you want me to get you ordained right now? Really? It's I'm going to get you ordained right now. Yeah. Get Check me ordained. Out. Let's do this. It's pretty cool. But, uh, Watch out. World. Yeah, let's see. What is it? Um, I'll be the dude that dresses up as Elvis. And what, what is it? Yeah, this is, it's pretty crazy. You do it in like three minutes. Universal Life Church. So you do instant ordination. Instant? Yeah, I'm going to get you ordained right now. Okay, thanks. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to be able to, do, so if you have friends that are getting married, see, what's the you date? can do it. We're doing this May 11th at almost 11, 11 a.m. Yeah, and it, it, somehow they make money. Like you sign in and then it's going to be like, hey, do you want to order like pins that say your name and Bibles and do you want to order all this cool like cups that say, I'm like, what is going on? Wow. Um, so where where the heck was I? Uh I, service and then you got ordained. And yeah, stuff and then I got ordained. I don't even know. I, I don't know how that transition happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've I've always wanted to to find some way to to serve the community, and so I haven't been this outgoing all the time. But I know that um, you know I've I've always I've always wanted to try to find a purpose and stuff, and I love the fact that. There are certain things in law enforcement and fire and uh, EMS that were challenging enough to where it was exciting, and I got to see a result. I saw that a lot as a medic. Um, I saw that a lot as a fireman. Um, I saw that a lot as a police officer. And for the most part, I'm actually seeing a lot of it as a real estate agent. You get people to the end goal. They're happy with you. Um, I, I take it really seriously when somebody says, like, hey, I wish you would have done this better as their agent. I'm like, damn. I like dwell on it. Yeah. I had one the other night. It's kind of a kind of a bummer situation, but I, I had some clients that basically wanted to tell me, you know, how how I was going to get paid, how I was going to do my job, um, and they had some prior complaints, apparently that I didn't know about two years ago. And I, I wasn't I wasn't too happy with that because I was talking to them on a Sunday night with my family, and I'm like, hey, I'm willing to make you a priority, but you know, I I can't be told how I'm going to do my job and all these other things. And that stuff hits me hard. And yeah. I think, do you, do you know about the anagram? An anagram? An like anagram. The, where they like assign a number to say, hey, like you're a, you're a seven or you're an eight or whatever else. Oh, you know yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I hate that thing. <laughs> so everybody says that I'm an eight. And there's probably some people like listening right now, like, yeah, yeah you're for sure an eight. <laughs> but I always, I hate being told what I am. But it, it, one of the things that that does is they dwell on things. And I do, I take it super personal. I woke up in the morning the other day, the night after, Monday morning, night after having this conversation with these people who are great people, but you know, we just don't see eye to eye and I'm not, I'm, you know, I'd, I'd rather have people work with somebody that is gonna do it the way they want than me try to force a relationship on anything. Sure. And uh, I woke up in the morning and literally opened my eyes 
And Renee looks at me and she's like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, dude, I'm thinking about that. For, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm immediately on it. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm still in this place. I'm surprised you slept. Well, I thought about it when I was sleeping. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that's, I think, one of my biggest things is like, I want a purpose. I want to know that I'm doing something good. I, I've not been perfect as a, as a medic, as a fireman, as a cop, as a real estate agent. Like, I, by far, I'm not perfect or even the best at it. But like, it bums me out mm -hmm. when somebody is not happy, even if they're completely unjustified as to why. It, like, it sucks. Yeah. And I dwell on that stuff. So that's probably, you know, it's... It's probably a good thing you're not on social media as much as some people are. Because oh. as soon as you start getting negative comments and stuff like that, then it's just like going around in your head. But what? I think there's a common there's a common trait with people who are successful. It's it's the fact that you dwell on that, I think is it means that you care. Oh, and you're I, your absolutely. own you're your worst critic. So like if someone's if if you're your worst critic and someone else is saying that you could be doing something better. It's like, oh my gosh, the secret's out. I'm not perfect. Right. And you're just like, ugh. And it does. And I do have, like, I get pretty excited. I have all five-star reviews right now on Google. I got on Google because I've heard Google. Google is the king. So you got to be on Google. Yeah, basically. So all my Zillow reviews, all my Google reviews, um, all the reviews that I've gotten are all five-star reviews. And I'm waiting. I'm like, I know I'm, I know somebody's going to be unhappy yeah, with me. Yeah, 4.8. Right. And I'm like, well, what the hell? What, what's the difference between a 4.8 and a 5? It's going to be like, he doesn't have any hair on his head yeah, or something, well, something stupid. I'll, yeah, or, uh, or you could see your tattoo. I don't like tattoos. Something, something dumb like that. And it sucks because yeah. I, I could maybe handle that, but it does. It, it, it causes me to dwell on it. And I think in, in real estate, because people get so emotional with stuff, it's more emotional in real estate than it is in law enforcement. Like, goodness. Um, yeah. But really? yeah, listen, you want to get in a fight, you don't need to be a cop, be a real estate agent. Like you, <laughs> yeah. If you want conflict, go be a real estate agent all day long. I wonder why. Is it because there's so much money on the line? Um, I think it is a lack of life experience. Hmm. There's a lot of people, lack of conflict, resolution, emotional intelligence, a lot of that stuff. Most of the people... I don't say most of them. There's a lot of people in real estate that have no other prior life experience. Some of them do very, very well. Others just jump into it and they go, oh, I can make a ton of money. Well, yeah, you can. You can make a ton of money in real estate. You could also make next to nothing. Mm -hmm. Both of those exist. And they jump into it and then they're dealing with multi-million dollar situations and then a conflict arises and they've never solved a conflict other than uh, somebody at home buying decaf instead of regular coffee and they don't know how to deal with it. And you get people that fly off the rocker over the littlest things. And you're like, dude, wait, this is solvable. Why is this, why, why now do I feel like we need to solve a conflict between us as opposed to the actual problem? Now, this is worse than the actual problem. Somebody left uh, a car on the property, a broke down car. Like we can fix this. Mm -hmm. Instead, somebody's yelling at you and you're like, goodness, man. That's something I worry about with, uh, I know this started getting popular a little bit. I don't know if it's died off or not. You might have some insight into this where you could look at a house, buy a house, do almost the entire process and not have to go through a person. Right. Um, has, have you seen any of that taken off? I think, what is it, Open Door or something like that had done these like virtual tour things because yeah. of COVID, everything was shut down. And, and you're talking like more like FSBOs? <sighs> What is that? For sale by owners? 
Yeah, stuff like that. But it was like almost the entire process was done online. There's there's a guy down in Arizona that's licensed up here that, I mean, you can like pay him 150 bucks, 200 bucks, and he'll put your he'll put your uh, uh, your property on the MLS. So he'll he'll put it on there for you. He's your agent. Okay. But you do it all on your own. And so there's no there's no fee for a seller's agent. Um, it's frustrating because yeah. people get on there and. Um, you know, he doesn't provide you with comps. He doesn't know the market up here. Um, then you have people that are asking you after you bring a buyer to him, hey, what am I supposed to do here? And it's like, I'm not your agent. You don't have one. You're dealing with the largest amount of money that you've ever dealt with in your life and you're not listening to anybody. And it's frustrating. Yeah. And every seller thinks their house is worth $10 million and every buyer thinks the same house is worth $100,000. So when you don't have people that actually negotiate there's a lot of, lot of good real estate agents I've found that are really good at talking to their clients and saying, hey, let's be reasonable here because otherwise nothing ever happens. But people do the FSBO thing or they, you know, they just throw it online somehow and it, I haven't seen it work out good. Yeah, I wonder Hey, what's, what? your, what's your email real quick? I gotta get you ordained. Um, I'm not gonna, hold on, let me pause it. I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not putting my email on, on this. <laughs> I actually, I was listening to a Rogan podcast and some dude was like, you could say, you know, contact me at my email and he was about to say it and Joe was like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, There's don't a lot of crazy people out there. Don't do that. That's so so I was like, that's a good point. I probably shouldn't do that. Um, get some serial rapist after me or something. Yeah. Um, you know, so the one trait I was... I was pointing out was the, uh, you know, like you, the, it, it bugs you when people talk bad or something, you're your biggest critic, but also that you're very, uh, it's the service part of it. It's like you're, you're all, you're doing something and your purpose is to help others. It's not like a self-serving thing. Right. Which is why I think the real, real estate part of it, that part that kind of, nags at you is like, what am I actually doing to benefit, you know, benefit other than getting people in the houses um, and coming from the fire. There, oh, go. there we go. What does that say? Credentials of ministry. Yeah. You're ordained. Am I getting, I'm getting, so that's going to be emailed to me yeah. and I'm going to be ordained. Yeah. Along with a bunch How of stuff. How much do you make doing that? I, I don't charge anybody. How much do you think I should charge people to? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I have a hard time with the whole wedding thing. People ask me all the time, how much do you want to get paid? I'm like, dude, I'm not going to charge you to come and marry. I'm like, no, you, I'm happy see, just to be here. this is the difference between you and me. What's <laughs> You're going to charge somebody? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll give you a cut of the first couple or something because you did all of the hard work for me. I got you ordained? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess I'm ordained now. So if y'all want ordained services, if you want them free, call me. I'll get like costumes and stuff too, Elvis costume, and I'll do that. Really? I I had to buy a suit. I don't have a suit at home. I don't either. Every time I buy a suit, I get fat or okay. skinny or something, and so I just stopped. That's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many clothes at home. I keep giving them away, and then I'm like, oh, I'll save them until I get skinny again. <laughs> And then that doesn't happen. And I'm like, this is bullshit. I'm freaking getting rid of this. Yeah, I agree. Um, so back to what I was saying, 
the service thing. Yes. Uh, I've found in talking to people on this podcast that I've always felt like the, it was almost like the good guys, the guys that were doing things for the right reasons were getting stomped out. Oh yeah. But as I started talking to people on the podcast um, and like their motives behind why they do what they do, I'm starting to see the trend kind of the pendulum swing back in the other direction where people are searching for the, whatever the service is, attorney or, you know, the, the, um, you know, a carpenter or right. something like that. They're looking for the person that is really focused on them. They're doing it for the right reasons. hundred percent. And I'm assuming you probably see that in the, the real estate world. Oh yeah. You, you could, know? I mean, I could, I blow this out of the water and name all the people that I feel like are just here for the money, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's the truth. And I, I think you find that in every profession, but yeah, I mean, I don't, there's, there's deals that, you know, I would, I would give away just to, just to make people happy and go, you know what, it, it is what it is. You need this. And my wife sold a house for like a dollar. Really? Yeah. When she was, when she was doing real estate, we had a, a good friend of ours and um, you know, she's used her and, sold her house and she, I think she took like a dollar for the commission. And uh, it was a stressful situation. There was a lot more going on to it, a lot more to the story, but um, ultimately she was like, you know what, whatever. She's like, just want her to, want her to have a, a, you know, a good spot. Sure. And so um, I, I, I oh, so my, my phone doing <laughs> the thing say again. again. <laughs> I had to throw it away. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and not that I'm gonna not that I'm gonna sell houses for a dollar. It just doesn't work. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, Everybody's phone. like, you, your phone starts blowing up. Yeah, I, I heard know. you're gonna do it for a yeah, dollar. No, that's not true. <laughs> I gotta get a negative review. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, you know, I think you know, I found that like getting into uh, people ask me all the time, they're like, hey, how did you go? Because most people in real estate, I mean, it takes them anywhere from six months to a year to get their first sale, unless you jump on a team. You jump on, you know one of these big teams out here, you go to ladder real estate, you do something like that. I love those guys, by the way. But you, you go to that team or something else, they're gonna feed you leads and your business is gonna take off a lot quicker, but you're also gonna be, you know, there's, there's splits of commissions and other things that mm-hmm. somebody's bringing you on. Um, and I came on as a solo agent and I got really, really successful really, really fast. And uh, I think my first year I got rookie of the year here, uh, which was a huge honor, like mm-hmm. that was super neat. And I, I attribute that all to the people I know because I built my business out of my sphere, out of the people that I know. There's a lot of people that have different ways to do it, whether it's marketing, whether it's buying leads using like Boomtown or Zillow or whatever else. Um, you know, I kind of just worked on the people that I know. And people ask me like, what, what's a secret? I'm like, well, first I had a total hookup. I had a group of people that, that trust me, that I've worked with, that I've been in the line of duty with, that, uh, that trust me to take care of their um, you know, their transactions. At the same time, I want to do a good job for them. Like, I don't want to do a crappy job as somebody's real estate agent, especially somebody that I served with on, uh, you know, Coeur d'Alene PD or County Fire. I've worked with a bunch of those guys still. Um, yeah, well, and your whole, if your whole thing is word of mouth and reputation and stuff right. like that, like you want to give the good reputation. Sure. And it's- You can't been, fake it on no. marketing, you know? No. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, but the biggest thing is that I surrounded myself by a bunch of people that are really good. Like my mentor was one of the best agents up here. He's phenomenal. And, you know, I, I didn't just pick him just because. It was because he was very successful with what he's doing. I'm like, I want to align myself with people that are really, really good. 
Right. And so even my lenders, even my uh, you know my escrow, my title companies, you know, I try to go to people that I feel like they do a very good job at what they do, and uh, it's helped me be really successful. So yeah, I I talked to Paul Perez, who's my old first sergeant in the Marine Corps. We deployed together and stuff, and he's now a branch manager with Aligned Mortgage in Texas. Okay, and talking with him about what he does and his whole approach to everything, like that dude would, I mean, cause he works with a lot of veterans. He's like, I would literally die for these people. Right. But I got to tone it down a bit cause I'm just doing a mortgage. <laughs> like, he's like, <laughs> you know, he's like, but it, it translates in other ways. It translates in like when you're taking phone calls and like how much effort you're putting into it, you know? Right. Unfortunately it's sacrificed from your family at a lot of the times and stuff. And, but the purpose behind why he does it, he finds fulfillment out of that. And I think you've had multiple transitions in your life. A lot of times people put their identity in what they do for a living right? and not who they are as a person. Oh, that's, And so it makes it really hard to transition out of things. It is, it's extremely hard. And it's funny that you bring that up because I sit on, um, I'm pretty excited about this, uh, but I got invited back to sit on the board for the, the Coeur d'Alene um, uh, Foundation. PD Foundation, and we focus on mental health for first responders. And I think for a lot of people who have been through the military and everything, like that's something we recognize that mm-hmm. has a big need. Uh, but the transition, I can see now, like I said, I'm only 39, I came out, I don't have any injuries, I'm not disabled, I don't have those issues, and I'm pretty lucky. But I know we were in church, and this was, when I left the fire department, it was pretty easy because I went to something else that was still in the service and paramilitary I, yeah. style. And yeah. I still had an identity. People still wanted to ask me about like, hey, what'd you do at work today? Nobody comes up to me and be like, how was real estate today? Like, oh. Let's... Well, I, I think I did. Yeah, <laughs> well, you did, <laughs> yes, that's your purpose. But uh, we were in church and I remember uh, they did like, you know, the public safety appreciation. This is like two weeks after I left Coeur PD. I was still pretty excited because it's almost like a vacation. Yeah. You're off and you're like, oh man, this is, this is rad. Just like when people retire, like their first couple of weeks are like, oh, this is everything I dreamed of. Then we're in church and uh, my pastor Chris is like, hey, can we have all of our uh, first responders and nurses and cops and firemen stand up? We just wanna you know, thank you for your service. And Renee looks at me and she's like, stand up. And I'm like, and I, I froze, I'm like, that's not me anymore. And next thing you know, I'm sitting there clapping for all these other guys and gals that serve our community and I'm not one of them. And I'm like, that, that is when I went into my three month like depression where mm-hmm. I'm like, what in the hell am I? Like I was busy with real estate, I had stuff going on, but all of a sudden I'm like, dude, like I come to my house at 39 years old and I see my, my little plaque that I had for PD and fire. I'm like, I'm retired, I'm done with this stuff. And I'm like, what, like what, what's my purpose now? And it was hard. I went through you know, just months where I'm like, dude, I don't know what um, I'm doing anymore because like I wanted to go back and I'm like, oh, but I knew that would happen because I, I was calculated with it. I knew I was going to miss that, but I was going to have the time with my family that I wanted. And, uh, but it hit me so hard and I'm like, holy shit, man, this is rough. And then I start thinking of the guys that have retired, you know, um, you know, I, I call Wayne Thompson. I don't know if you, you remember Wayne. Yeah, 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 yeah. T five hundred. We call him Terminator because he'd fire everybody. <laughs> uh, super cool captain. Had a great time with him. And uh, you know, I I call him. And I check in every now and then, and and I talk to him because you know he's retired. And you just hear it, and people are like, man, I, like I miss it. They miss the purpose. They miss the guys. 
Uh, they don't miss all the BS that we yeah. had to deal with, but they they miss the job and they miss the that thing. And too often I'm seeing right now, and this comes back to me sitting on the board for uh, the Coeur d'Alene PD Foundation, is that people leave a job like that after 30 years, like doing this thing forever. And they leave and they're given a big party and a kick in the ass and they're gone. And they have a lot of people that reach out to them for a few months and then it just falls off and they're, they're just, they're on their own. And I mean, you see people go through divorces because all of a sudden now they're, you know, husbands, wives come home and they're like, hey, I haven't seen you. All in like, the like unresolved issues that yes. the marriage had, now you're forced to face it. And now you have to live with this person yeah. that you haven't lived with for 30 years because they've been a right. fireman or a cop or whatever. And it's super hard. And, uh, you know, I would love to see packages put together um, for our local officers, our firefighters, when they retire, that they're like, hey, not only are we going to, you know, here's your party and here's your stuff, but, you know, here's also, um, you know, we've already prepaid for, you know, five therapy sessions with this therapist. So you can go and talk to somebody about your career and talk to somebody about how to get over some of these things. And by the way, we're, we're gonna have a meeting once a month with retired guys and current guys. And it might even be just having a beer. You yeah. know what I mean? Just sitting down talking so that you're not all of a sudden alone because people, they make that transition and they're just cut off. Yeah. It's the same way in the military. Yeah. It's the same thing because that machine's going to keep rolling. Someone right. else is going to come in and replace you in that role and it's just going to keep, it's going to keep going. Um, and I think that like lack of communication with the dudes that are still in versus the guys who are retired, it's not like the dudes that are still there are not thinking of the guys that used to right. be there. It's just like they have a job to do. It's time to move yep. forward. Um, and again, it's not taking on the burden of responsibility for that person's life after they're gone. It's right. like, all right, baby bird, you got to go fly on your own now. Right. Kind of thing. And it's um, hard. Yeah. I had a similar you know, transition out of the military because I obviously didn't do it for 30 years, but I went my entire childhood knowing I wanted to join the Marine Corps. Right. And then love the dudes. Like I genuinely love the job, um, especially when you're deployed because you feel like you're finally doing something that it. you were training for. You're finally doing the thing. Yeah. Um, but whenever I got out, it was like machines going. And all the dudes that I got out with, we all go to the four corners of the country and you know, we might text each other every now and then, but we're not there anymore. Now it's on us to figure it out. You don't have somebody telling you what to do every second, every day. Right. When you got to go to work, it's now on you. If you want to be fit or you want to be fat, it's on you, you know? And I remember your dad saying that you had a, it was a struggle for you mm -hmm. when you left for sure. And it's a dark time for a lot of people when they leave that. Yeah. Nobody realizes that. Yeah. I mean, I had to, I think my part of what helped me kind of get out of it was I have like this stubbornness. It was like this, you know, you might go to a therapy session, at least at the VA, you'll go there and they will basically tell you you're going to have post-traumatic stress forever. Right. Here's the ways to cope with it. You either take your pills or you go to group therapy every week. And there's some dudes that will do that and they'll do it like clockwork. Yeah. But every time they go there, it's just like rehashing the glory days and no one's ever actually growing. Yeah. And so after I, after I went to that for a little bit, taking the pills, you realize, okay, this just makes me a zombie. So yeah, I'm not dealing with anxiety or whatever, but I'm just sitting on the couch. There's no money coming in because I can't work because right. I'm a zombie. 
And then I'll go to group therapy sessions and it's an honor to be around dudes from previous wars. You know, those are the Mm -hmm. dudes that I looked up to. But then you start to hear the same stories over and over and over again. Or you're hanging out with dudes that they're not growing, but they drink a lot and their therapy in their head is I go and I get drunk with my buddies. They're not growing. Right. And I was like, I don't want that for the rest of my life. I was 21 when I got out of the military. Jeez, yeah. I have my whole life ahead of me. I'm like, there's no way that this is it. So that was part of the, the thing that pulled me out. And the question that I asked myself was, what do you want to do to help people before you die? Right. It's kind of a broad question, but <laughs> it sounds crazy. But I was in the apartment, not sleeping for weeks, and just pacing back and forth, asking me that question. And I, I, th- I just came to this whole, well, I need money. So I need yeah. to get a job. I need to do something. <laughs> um, having trouble finding a job because I have no skills that translate from the military over to that life. And right. so it's like, so you, okay, what am I going to do there? Um, couldn't, couldn't get into the VA. It was packed. It was like Loma Linda VA. So there's a billion oh, yeah. vets trying to get in there. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm fixing the healthcare system. Well, okay. What do I got to do to fix the healthcare system? Well, you need money to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't get a job. So what are you going to do? How can I make money from home? Uh, start looking at stock market. How do you, how do you trade? Still need money to start in the stock market. Okay. How do I get money? And then it came to a point where it was like, okay, am I going to spend what little money I have on food for the next few days or gas to a job interview? Yeah, so it's like, but I never stopped. And that was like the whole point. It's like, you don't stop. You don't just give up. You got to keep pushing forward. And it eventually led to, I realized like I have a mind for business. Mm -hmm. Um, It just kind of makes sense to me. So, okay, led to uh, how does marketing work? How does, you know, start a marketing company? Okay, but you need to do all this stuff, doing all these courses. Instead of blowing money on just food, I can go 30 days without food if worst case scenario, <laughs> right? Worst case scenario. It's a long time. You know, worst case. Yeah. Okay, I won't eat today, but I'm going to take that money and I'm going to invest in an online course to learn this thing. That's crazy. And it was just like one foot in front of the other. And I start to learn. I start to interact with, with other people that are in the space and I start kind of developing what I'm going to do based on just trying to solve the need. And at the time it was like, fix the healthcare system quickly realized like maybe one day I can do that. Yeah. But you know, and it led me to, I mean, I'm podcasting now, which I'm not really, I'm not making any money off this, Yeah. but I've gotten to a point where, okay, I know what direction I'm going in. And it is, it's like, we need protection for small business as a whole in the country. There's no, there's no buffer between, government or big business, big corporations and small business. Right. It was apparent in the COVID thing. Who's essential, oh, who isn't, yeah, right? right? And I'm like, okay, well, something needs to be there. And I don't know if it's possible that it's gonna happen, but I feel in my heart that this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I don't know what it's gonna look like because I didn't think podcasting was a thing this time last year. Right. So. Well, that's, and that's, you know, it's funny you say that, like, who's essential? And I'm like, you know what we kind of forgot is that, like, happiness and mental health is essential. Not just, you know, not just physical health, not just 
staying away from something. Like, there's a lot of things. You know how much joy Crumble Cookie brings to my life? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's a really good thing. I go, my doctor will be like, she'll be like, so how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm feeling great. She's like, oh, what's your goals? And I'll tell her. And she's like, oh, it's not, what's, what's, how are you binge eating? I'm like, well, I don't know. What's like, Define binge. Yeah, what, what is binge? <laughs> like, I bought four crumble cookies the other day, and I ate all of them. <laughs> My family thinks I bought eight, and I bought, or thinks I bought four, I bought eight. Do you, do you know what they make crumble cookies, like, out of? Do I want to know? How much, I don't how much happiness not, do you I'm have to spare? I'm not going to stop eating them. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what is it? So I saw that they use the Betty Crocker, like, mix. Yeah. Which is not good for you, but uh, well, I, it's like, I know, but it's like, I find that out, but it's not like crumble cookies is going down. People are going to eat it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, honestly, I, I, I think when I eat something like that, I just don't, I really don't care. Mm-hmm. It's like you might as well, t- you can tell me, it's like, oh man, this is like a carcinogen. And like everything in California is a carcinogen. Right. You even, yeah. You can't even, yeah. There's certain things you can't even have. You can't have plastic there and all sorts of this, stuff. But yeah. Yeah. This mic, you can't even ship into California. It's got causes <laughs> birth defects. <laughs> I'm like, I really don't care because I already know it's a bad choice. So I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. And God, I hate that when people tell me like, oh, hey, this is bad for you. I'm like, I know it's bad for me. Like, <laughs> I understand it's feel bad for, for me. a little bit. You're smoking right now. Why is <laughs> your bad? Because I mean a cookie? Get out of here. Um, the, the board like that you're a, part, you're a yes. part of it now? Uh-huh. What... What are the, I guess, specific challenges to the police department that you're finding with the mental health side of things? So um, I think in this day and age, I don't want to say it's trendy at all because it's not. I think it's just people are more aware that there are issues that law enforcement, firemen, nurses, military, that they deal with that it are unresolved issues. And I, I think that the biggest struggle is that, you know, they, they recently had somebody come into the PD. I, I wasn't there, but um, somebody came into the PD and they said, oh, they're going to come in and talk to you guys about mental health. And it was a person that came in that doesn't have background in law enforcement, doesn't have background. It was like some therapist and everybody said it was horrible. Like, this is, this is nuts. And uh, I think the biggest struggle is getting people to say, yeah, like I, I could sit down with a therapist. Yeah, because like you could offer five free therapy sessions, right. but getting the dude to let his pride and ego down right, to admit that he's got to talk to somebody. Right, but here's the thing is what we find us doing is that I do this. I'll tell you, because I know Taylor Lasseter, like I'll tell you all sorts of intimate stuff, man, about calls that I've done, stuff I've never told my wife and kids. You know, they always ask me, what's the worst call you've been on? And I'm like, oh, this guy broke his leg. Like I don't bring <laughs> yeah. up all the stuff that I saw, right? And a lot of it's repressed, like seeing friends hurt or injured or killed. I mean, there's so many things, and I'll tell you about it. But a therapist walks in and is like, "Hey, I want you to talk to me about this." It's like I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. You don't know the world I come from, and uh, and I, I'm not going to talk to you. And I think that's a huge thing. And I I very much applaud the guys that can get over that. Yeah. I had a, a sergeant recently that just went through some stuff, and uh, he went to therapy. And now, you know, he's no longer with the PD and he's doing great. Like he's doing phenomenal. He's not making money. He's not like doing all the things that he used to do. And he's super happy. And I'm psyched for him. I'm like, this is freaking cool. Like, look at you 
take something that was so negative in your life, all these bad things that happened all at once, and here you are happy with life. Like that's, that's what's strange to me. And he went to therapy. Mm-hmm. And because he went to therapy, all of a sudden now he's got a whole different outlook on things. And, and it was a struggle for him. He was on a struggle bus. And now you're like, dude, you are so excited about life. And that's not something that I ever saw you have before. Mm-hmm. He was a great sergeant, man. I loved working with him. I'm like, this guy is, I mean, he always took care of me, which you see with a lot of guys. That, right. You know, they take good care of their guys, but they're not taking good care of themselves. And so that's the yeah. biggest struggle is getting Well, they people. like hide behind their work to suppress it right. at a certain point. They're like adding more work and more of the things that cause the issues, oh, but yeah. they're hiding behind it to suppress it. Oh. Yeah. Do you have issues with uh, like memory issues? Okay, dude, I was just talking about this the other day. So I was talking to a friend about, we were talking about um, my past life as a fireman. And they were asking me like, oh, about calls and stuff. And I started telling, this is crazy. I started telling this, this story that uh, I was not in. Like I, I, I started telling a story that I've heard so many times that over the years I've translated it into I was there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. And I, I was telling this, this horrific story at work and halfway through it, I stopped and I'm like, dude, I, I'm so sorry. I just realized that that wasn't that wasn't my story. That was actually my buddies yeah. that told me that, and I've heard it a ton of times. And it's been over years, and I held on to it, and now I'm telling that story from a first person perspective, and that wasn't me. So that yeah. happened to me, and that actually was kind of eye opening. I'm like, holy crap! And I started going through all the stories I tell people. I'm like, was that actually me or not? <laughs> Texting your buddies, was yeah, I here? Yeah, yeah, I know. Like looking at my photos, like was that me? Yeah. No, so I, I had my buddies out that I served with. We were doing our fishing trip or whatever up here, um, and all of us were like, dude, we, dude, our memory sucks. Yeah, our memory is trash. And I was reading up on this a while ago, and the studies have been done where dudes or just people who have been in high stress situations for a prolonged period of time, yeah. it does a physical damage to your hippocampus. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, there it is. Like, that's why the hippocampus is the memory part. Right. And it's like, well, that makes sense now. I mean, my short-term memory is trash. Yeah, I know. But I find myself, um, the, like, deployment stuff, I'm for, I forget things. And I'm like, there's detail. I know there's something else there, but I cannot remember. I can't right. put my finger on it. Like we've already talked about this. Yeah. No. <laughs> don't mess with me. <laughs> yeah. No. It's uh. It's. I don't know. I I find that interesting because you'll see old, you know, uh, either retired fire or police or even veterans or or something from old wars, where it, they're telling a story and it seems like that story is like either rehearsed or they've said it so many times. And you're like, how are you this old? You can't remember where you put your car keys, but you can remember every single detail of every the story. Day. Yep. And it makes me wonder because I'm dealing with memory stuff too. Like, are they having the same issue like what you had where they think they were there or they're misremembering things? Right. I mean, that happens in car accident, witness at a car accident or something. Right. And they're thinking that they're there. Or they saw it differently. Well, when somebody tells you a story from first person view. It's like reading history. Yeah. If you read it enough times, you memorize a story mm-hmm. and you memorize it from a first person perspective. That's what I did with this one story. I've heard it so many times. Right. All of a sudden I start telling it. I'm like, 
what is going on with me? Mm-hmm. Like that's super strange that I'm thinking that I was part of that. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of these stories or you know traumatic events that you've been through, you got to be very cautious about who you're talking to about them and stuff. Oh yeah. And I think that's where some of the resistance to going to a therapist, someone who doesn't really understand it, that's kind of where that comes from. Oh, for sure. You know, it's not just the vulnerability, it's like the I don't want to come off as like a fraud, which is weird because it's like, how could you come off of a, of a fraud if you, like you've been through these things? Like that was right. your profession. Um, you know the Cleared Hot podcast with no. Andy Stumpf? Uh-uh. He's been on Rogan a couple times. He's a Navy SEAL. Okay. Um, he held the longest like wingsuit uh, oh, world record for a little while. Crazy, okay. Yeah, um, he has a podcast. He's in Kalispell, Montana. Um, he said something I thought was really interesting about therapy where the big issue dudes don't want to talk to somebody that haven't been in that position before. And he said their job isn't there to understand what you do. They're there to basically just listen. Mm -hmm. And then at some point give some insight or make you think a little bit differently about a situation as like a third party coming in. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense because you know, celebrities in Hollywood. Not everybody's been through their same life. It's a very oh, no. small number of people that have done that, but they all have therapists. You know, They have to. Yeah. But that's not the point of therapy. The therapy isn't to hanging out with the boys, you know, like getting drunk and talking right. about war stories. That's not the point of that. It's to heal. Right. No, 100%. And it is. And I think, I mean, you know that my, my sense of humor, probably your sense of humor is pretty far off. We oh, could, yeah. There's a lot of jokes you and I couldn't tell right now because yep. people would be pretty upset. Yeah, but that was the same thing with the fire department. I used to tell guys we've had some major, major incidents where when I was a captain, I'm like, I have to check on the guys. That's that's my job. Sure. And I would check on them afterwards, and if everybody's like, Yeah, we're good. I'm like, Okay. If anybody needs anything, let me know. I had a new guy. We saw a call, and he took it really hard. And I'm all there for him. I'm like, I want to get you help, but I also want you to know this: if we can't. If, if you're going to struggle with that call enough to where we can't get that exact same call or something worse right now and you can't snap out of it and get your head in the game so that you have the potential to save somebody's life because you're thinking straight, then you might not want to do this job. And that's the sucky thing about it for your profession, for what I did, is that some things you have to suppress. Yeah. Because if you dwell on them and you're on duty, it's going to cause you to hesitate it's going to cause you to make a bad decision. It's going to cause you to be in a weird emotional state. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to recall your training, and then you're going to put yourself or somebody else in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And if you so, you get used to suppressing those things. So even later in life, you just hold on to it. You're like, oh, I'll just keep it, keep it down there. Yeah, and that's where you see guys. I mean, it's suicides are on the rise between you know retired and former law enforcement and fire and people that have gone through things like that, military. Um, and that sucks. That's not right. And that's why I'm, I, I love the fact that our, there's a few foundations up here that do a phenomenal job for first responders. Um, I try to support every single one of them. You got the JW Foundation, Kootenai County Police and Fire Memorial, Coeur d'Alene Police Foundation. And they all have their thing. Ours is just, our focus is mental health. Um, but that's, I mean, those are, it's, it's important for people to know that they're supported and they have an outlet. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is just the awareness. I'm like, hey, if you have an issue, it's a bunch of people here, we ain't gonna judge you, man. We've been through the yeah. same stupid crap. And uh, so people know there's somewhere to go. 
it's really cool. Um, are you considered millennial or are you? Don't. Are you? I think my wife told me I was millennial. Are you though? I think like, I am now. 83. I think, I don't know where the cutoff is. I think they moved it back to like 79. Oh, really? I wasn't a millennial. Oh, okay. During the millennium, but then I became a millennial apparently. <laughs> Millennials are, they get the bad rap of being the worst ever. Yeah. But I started reading this book called The Fourth Turning. Okay. Um, it's basically talking about the different cycles and generationally where the generational line is. Um, every 20 years, there's some big event that happens. And depending on where you are in your life cycle, where your thinking is and where you plan on going um, determines how you make decisions and why it cycles the way it does. Oh, really? It's it's very crazy book. Like I, I would highly recommend it. It's almost like a history book because they go all the way back to Roman times and really? Greeks and like how they saw cycles in life and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's weird. Um, they hit on something about the greatest generation, the generation that went to World War II and then they came back, Industrial Revolution, they basically right. built the nation. Um, the millennial generation in the cycle is the same thing in terms of um, big events that have happened in our life and how we right. portray the world. And then also, like for us, we're going from analog to digital. Oh. Information, war for information and data, um, things like that. So cyclically, we're the same. Um, really? And the millennial generation is, this book was released in 97. So what is that? Four years before 9-11 happened. So right now, if you go back 20 years, 9-11, and then you go forward 20 years, COVID stuff, you go forward another 20 years, it's supposed to be this whole great reset thing that World Economic Forum. Oh, geez. So there's a cycle thing. Yeah. But like how the millennial generation handles all of that will determine whether or not the country survives. Yeah. So, I've always stressed, you know, the millennial generation is the most important generation right now because we have lived in analog and then digital. Right. We're raising our kids in a digital age, but we still have remnants of what it was like beforehand. Right. And we're the ones taking on um, all of the companies. We're creating companies. We're creating companies that work in the digital space. We're the ones that get to dictate where this country goes and how important that is. Right. And I think what's really cool when it comes to the mental health space is that we're coming, becoming hyper aware about all of that stuff. There's a negative to that because sure. we get a little too soft and like we kind of just talk about this stuff like it's okay. Um, but if you look at the veteran community, they're the ones doing all the research on what's going into your body. Uh, microdosing mushrooms yeah. at, for therapy or like um, uh, spiritual therapy, looking at like helping with sleep. What are the different ways that you can use CBD to help with sleep, CBN? Right. And it's like, it's the millennial generation. The millennial generation just served 20 years in a war, multiple times, multiple fronts, and we just did it. It's the same thing as the greatest generation. Yeah. And we have that kind of experience to move us forward. It's important for us and you fire police, people that have been through the toughest situations right. to rise above that and start being leaders in the community, take over these companies and do it for the right reasons. Right, no, absolutely. 
You know what I mean? And it's a uh, it sucks too because there's a lot of important a lot of important positions. I mean, where people just leave, law enforcement, fire. I mean, I'm I'm I amplify the issue. I'm like, ah, eh, I found something better, and it's better for me and my family. I mean, part of me this is a pretty selfish selfish decision to leave something like that because I go, you know what? I can see how it's going to work out better for me to have more time with my family to, you know. Um, to, to be there for my wife and my kids when I haven't been for so long. And then so you get people that are leaving and I don't consider myself a window licker, you know, but it seems like there's a lot of people that are leaving that are very motivated mm-hmm. and they're leaving pose- uh, positions that we need people in. Right. You know, we need certain people to work in law enforcement in our community and certain people in fire and certain yeah. people in, that are nurses. You need those teachers, you need those people. And a lot of good ones it's not all the good ones, but there's a lot of good ones that are leaving because they're motivated, they can find something else, and they're just, they, they're done with the politics and everything else. They just move on. Yeah, I think in police and fire, the public service space, I feel like a lot of the pressure on that space now, it's not like the traumatic events aren't gonna happen anymore, but like how the departments handle it and things like that, the political side of it, Right. Millennials are also responsible for politics too. We can't just be like, politics sucks, I don't want to get into it and not right. take any responsibility for our government. It's made up of regular people. Yep. If we want it fixed, we have to, somebody has to step up and fix it. You know, I've said before, you know, if you go outside and you see a problem and it affects you so much that you're like, man, we, someone needs to do something about it and you look around and no one's doing anything about it, you should take on that responsibility to fix it. That's a huge point. You know, and it's up to us, you know. Yep. We, we can point the finger all day long, argue with bots on Facebook. Yep. But someone has to take the responsibility on. And I, I, can, I can understand someone wanting to leave the, the police profession, especially right now. You're in areas where DAs aren't wanting to prosecute. You're just, you know, I can understand that frustration. But I think if, if we're going to solve that and the pressure that's put on public servants, um, then someone needs to step up and city councils and run and everybody else needs to vote for those people not based on their political party but who are they as a person oh yeah well that's gotten washed to the yeah to the side because it is it's so political yeah i mean you can't say certain things because otherwise you know you can't do that that's not that's not nice it's like well nobody looks at the intent anymore yeah the type of people that they are and i i Man, you start hitting the political train and I, I look at people that support whatever candidate and they get to, we just talked about this, um, they get to the point where it doesn't matter if that person makes a good or bad point or good or bad decision, they support them. And I'm like, man, that's not, mm-hmm. that's not how it's supposed to go. Like, People that you like, that you have followed, still make poor decisions. And you have to filter that stuff out and say, oh, you know what, I'm not following that. And it's too much. People just jump into that and they, yeah, I, I, it's, uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is frustrating. I think what's even more frustrating is like our election system has gotten to a point where it's like the lesser of two evils. And so like, <laughs> it's like we had Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Yeah, I know. And then we had That's... Biden and Donald Trump. It's like, is this, this is really our options here? <laughs> I know. And so it's like, I want to be optimistic because I do see a lot of great people trying to do great things. Sure. But it's the rest of society that are not doing their part. They're like, oh, that person's doing it. Good Good for you. Awesome. But then they don't 
they don't, you know, we have social media. This is how we share everything. They're not right. sharing what they're saying that's really good. They're they're doing all the negative stuff. They're sitting there on TikTok looking at, right. you know. Well, nobody, like you said, nobody wants to put in the work. It doesn't matter what it is. And coming from my previous professions, I don't know how many times I've been called because there's a stalled car. And I get there and I'm like, why don't you get out and help the person push it? Why do you have to call law enforcement for that? Right. Why do you have to call the fire department because there's uh, somebody lit a bush on fire? It's not, I'm not talking don't about conflagration. Why yeah. is it that you're just not putting it out and then going home? Like, right. why is it that you don't want to have any, well, it's a legal responsibility. Are you kidding me? Like, this is at the point where you're just, you would, yeah, you have block no, their phone and take a video. Oh my gosh, right. this plant's on fire. Someone call 911 while they're holding a phone. So that's a perfect example of 5% of the people doing 95% of the work. Mm-hmm. And the other 95% want to bitch and complain about it. And they want to call you for help. Or they want somebody else to handle it. But they're going to make sure that that everybody knows you need to handle it. Sure, it's like goodness. Yeah, I it, I, I always fall back on it though. It's like I want to be pessimistic. Oh, it's all coming to crap. I'm going to move up to right. Idaho. I'm going to get me a plot of land in the middle of nowhere, and and I'll just let the world burn. Yeah. But then I'll see you know I'll see a kid who's doing the right thing. There was a video recently of this kid that. Um, the he was on a bus, school bus, and the driver like had a heart attack or something, and yeah. she like passes out, and the kid rushed and grabbed the steering oh, wheel. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, saw yeah, that yeah. The kid ran up front, and you see that, and you're like, "There's still hope, I guess." Yeah, you know, like we still have people that are going to step up and do the right thing. But here's the thing. Here's what's worse. The other kids would just sit there and just let the bus go. Yeah. They're like, "Well, I guess this is my end." Yeah. This is what's. It's like, is that really where you're at? Yeah. Like <laughs> you're just giving up. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. But I, I do feel like we're in that age bracket, yeah, thirties, forties, where it's, but it's transition too. I mean, I, I went on a, a call when I was, uh, when I was an officer up here. It was a, it came in as a domestic, husband and wife screaming at each other, mm-hmm. and they're in their, they're in their fifties. You know, what I mean, it's not like it's just us. They, they call law enforcement. One of them does, and I walk in, I knock on the door. I'm like, Coraline P. And one of them looks at me, doors open, I step in, and they're just screaming at each other. I thought in my head, yeah, screw this, dude. <laughs> I went and sat down on their couch, and I grabbed a newspaper that was there. And I just started reading it. <laughs> and I'm on their couch for probably five seconds, and the husband goes, hey, goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm not here, okay, other than the fact that you called me. So if you're going to continue to yell and scream at each other and not acknowledge me since you called me to solve the issue, mm-hmm. okay, then I'm going to sit here and wait for you to finish. And he got pissed at me and kicked me out of his house. He's like, Gary, see ya. I was done. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't even, it, but I'm like, you're actually calling somebody else to solve your issue. And I promise you, I'm like, I, that's one of those things I think in my head, I'm like, if I solve it, one of you is going to jail. So you guys got to figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah. But, Look uh, up from the newspaper, make sure there's no weapons. And just, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Officer yeah. safety first day. Everything looks good in here. Yeah. I'm going to sit down because this is ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I mean, it's so many people wanting other people to handle their issues mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so I don't think it's just millennials anymore I think it's transitioned all over the place but uh, like you said I think it's cool that there is kids out there there are people that want it to yeah. be better that are doing that because those are the people that I want to be firemen and want to be cops and I want them to be doctors and nurses and lawyers I want them to do those things yeah. I want to find a lawyer that does it because he wants to do the right thing and not because he you know wants to find a way out for yeah. his guilty 
<laughs> yeah. You know, defend it. It's like, oh, man. Well, one of the big reasons I think that people don't want to do it and why they get so burnt out is because there's not enough other people doing it. Right. So they feel alone. I mean, I can see that in the political thing. You could run for Congress and you go into Washington like, I'm going to fix Congress. And then you realize, like, the whole entire system is messed up. Right. There's, like, a handful of people that are trying to do the right thing, but they're up against this giant yeah. problem. So it's like the more of us that do it, the more it works, right. the less stressful it is. I mean, I feel like, at least for now, this part of the country is really dead set on preserving things. Oh, yeah. You know, the individual liberties, the reason why there's so many mom and pop shops here and not so much corporate, yep. you know, like big chain stores and everything. And people are nice to each other. And I was walking down downtown Coeur d'Alene and uh, you look down the alleys and the trash is actually in the dumpster. Oh, yeah. You're like, holy crap. Dude, the dump is my favorite thing in Coeur d'Alene. We have a t I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. When I was in California, if I like did a renovation on my house, okay, and I had all this trash, I tore out a bathroom, it'd take me like six weeks to get rid of half of it because I'd have to break it all up, put it in my trash can. Otherwise, I had to pay a ton to take to the dump. Now, I know it's somewhat the same thing. I pay the, I, I mean, I pay my taxes up here and that's what provides the right. trash. But now, dude, I go to the dump all the time. Like, I love it. Mm -hmm. If I have, I mow my... I'll mow my grass and I'm immediately throw it in the back of my car and go down to the dump because I can drop anything I want off there. Right. It's the coolest thing. Yeah. And so there's a place for the trash to go. It's not on the sidewalk. Yeah. And it's, well, it's, and it's, people want to keep it clean. They want to keep it nice. Yeah. You know, I, I just, and it's everybody wants to do that. That's why it works. Right. If there was only two people in this entire place that wanted that, they would get burned out and then leave like they're doing in California. Yep. Well, 4th of July is like the holy holiday up here, right? <laughs> Seriously, 4th of July is out of control. We're not supposed to have aerial fireworks. Everybody goes down to the mm -hmm. reservation. They buy five, six-inch shells. I got a ton last year. Yeah. Probably got a ticket just talking about this. But anyways. Beep, beep, yeah. Beep. So, you know, everybody goes out and buys all these aerial fireworks. And 4th of July is insane. Like, you don't need to go downtown. Mm -hmm. That's where everybody from Washington goes. They go downtown. Yeah. It's completely packed. I don't know if you've ever heard about our 4th of July shooting they had in like 2019, I think it was. 4th of July, 2019. I don't think so. Yeah, they had a guy down there and ended up shooting right at the 4th okay. of July fest. Big deal in town. Anyways, luckily nobody really got hurt other than the guy that was shooting, but that's a totally different thing. Um, so uh, anyways, 4th of July is like a holy holiday around here. Everybody is shooting off fireworks. It's insane. We hang out at our house and it's like mortars just everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, there's the point I'm getting to. There's so much trash the next morning. Oh yeah. I mean, I woke up and probably for like six weeks, I could see like shrapnel all over my roof <laughs> in my backyard. Like there's just shrapnel everywhere. Like if you happen, if this happened in California, Newsom would lose his mind. It does. Yeah. I mean, you remember that Los Angeles, like that. It was in COVID time. It was like after he said, "Oh, did they? No do fireworks." It? LA blew up. Every oh. everybody was shooting fire. Well, God bless them. Yeah. So we did that up here and I woke up the next morning and there's trash everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm looking around, I'm like, dude, half of this is mine. Like there's a lot of trash in the roadway. And I wake up and I'm like, I'm gonna go out and sweep my street. I thought I was gonna be the the independent man out there sweeping my street, getting it all clean. I go out there, there's gotta be every person is out there in the street sweeping up. Like they're all out there cleaning up. I'm like, what is going on? And every one of my neighbors is out there. They got big push brooms all the way down the street. Everybody's cleaning up all their trash. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like I've never seen anything like that. And I'm yeah. up here. We, we destroyed the neighborhood. There's trash everywhere. And everybody's picking it all up. 
And I'm like, that is so, if I did that down in California, it would be there for 10 years. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that was something that was so eye-opening. I'm like, that is so cool that I live in a place that people, yes, we're going to have our fun. We're going to do those things, mm-hmm. but everything's picked up. It's clean. It's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I, I remember living in Vegas and there was a house down the street where I think it was a foster family or whatever. Kid, you know, most foster kids, they're no supervision. Yeah. They go out and get in trouble and stuff. And this kid was throwing big, sharp rocks into the road. And I went down there and I was like, hey, you guys need to pick these up because the the rocks are sharp. People are going to drive over them. I'm like, okay. I walk away. They don't do anything. They keep throwing rocks. Go down there. Hey, seriously, trying to kick some of the rocks off the road or whatever. You guys need to pick this up. Ignore me. Still doing it. So I go down there and I start picking up the rocks myself. And then they come out out of like obligation or embarrassment or something and they start picking them up. Yeah. And it was like, as far as like the leadership in your community, I would be willing to bet if nobody was out there on the street and you were just the only one out there sweeping the street, yeah, people would start coming out to help. I would hope so. And that's the, that's the leadership thing that, you know, to hit on the millennial stuff, it's up to us. We're the ones with the kids now. We're the ones, right? you know, it's up to us. Mm-hmm. We have to do this. Yeah, there's a point, like you said, there's a point where a generation gets too far past that not only are they not as invested in it anymore, but they don't have the ability to continue to drive the nation, Yeah, drive the communities. They just don't have the ability. But at the same token, if we raise our kids like that, I don't have kids yet, Yeah, but we raise our kids to do that, they're going to be, they're going to excel. That pendulum will swing all the way to that side where the winners in society, the ones who are truly making a difference, it's going to be our kids. We might be up against it now because we're trying to like reverse everything. But if we raise our kids correctly, it's going to. Yeah. And I think that conflict resolution is a huge thing too. I mean, I try to, you know, I I try to motivate my kids, um, you know, when they run into issues with each other, I I treat just like I did when I was a cop. Sure. My kids are going to fight. They're like, dad, do do you want me to solve it? Because if I'm going to solve it, I promise both of you ain't going to be happy. Yeah. They're like, oh, and they do it. And then, you know, my son, he gets into this, uh, he gets into this trend. I tease him all the time. He'll walk up to me like, hey, dad, where's the hammer? And I'm like, bro, did you look? Or are you just asking me? I'm like, I just, I, I, I'll help you all day long. I'll help anybody. Yeah. But I'm like, did you look? Like, are you just completely dependent? What happens when I'm not here? Mm-hmm. That could happen today. What yeah. happens when I'm not here? I'm like, you gotta at least try. If you try, I will support you and it's okay if you fail. Mm-hmm. But if you're not gonna try, if you're just gonna turn to me and be like, dad, hey, how do I do this? I'd be like, no, mm-hmm. nope, not doing anything for you. You need to get up off your butt and you need to try it and fail at it. And when you're pissed off, you've tried every way you can think of, I'll come in and help you out. Renee is gonna listen to this and be like, well, what about that time you said you couldn't find the ketchup in the refrigerator? <laughs> okay, no, 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 she's the, okay. <laughs> Funny story, I gotta say this real quick because it drives me nuts. So my daughter clogged, uh, she's got hair, uh, okay. I don't. Yeah. My, I went in my daughter's shower, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a shower in here today. And she wasn't home, I'm taking a shower, I'm standing in the bathtub full of water. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, this drain is completely clogged. So I'm in the shower, butt naked. I start yelling for my wife, she comes in, I'm like, hey, Sayla's, this thing is completely clogged. I'm like, I need you to go and get my, my, little, my little drain snake. Mm-hmm. And she goes, what's it look like? I go, okay, it's in my black toolbox, second drawer, maybe third drawer up, and it's about 18 inches long. It's yellow plastic and has hooks on either side. 
She goes out there and she's out there for like five minutes. I'm like, what the hell is taking so long? She comes back in and she's like, I can't find it. So, you know, in my, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I know it's in there. And so out of my frustration to prove her wrong, I, you know, I get wet but naked, go walking through the hallway making, you know, I go out there, I open the, the second drawer and lo and behold, I pull it out and I look at her and I'm like, how long do you think this is? This is 18 inches. No jokes here, but yeah, it's actually 18 inches. It's got a and, ruler on it. It says 18 it, inches. It's, it's yellow plastic and she's looking at it and she's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I tease them all the time because I'll ask them to get me something and they can't find it. I think that's about the only thing that I do better in that house is I can find things. Yeah. Everything else, I'm a, I'm a train wreck, but they do. Yeah, I give them a hard time at that all the time. That's so funny. Well, we're at two and a half hours now. This Holy is officially crap. the longest podcast that I've had so far. Perfect. But I loved it, man. I appreciate you being on. No, thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was a good time. It's fun seeing you. You have way more facial hair than I think I could grow if I tried. Yeah. So good for you. I can't remember the last time I shaved. Um, a little over a year ago. That's impressive because yeah. I have hair issues. Yeah. So. I got long hair now too. I just look like, I look like an Idahoan. Well, I appreciate you coming out. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. How can people find you? So uh, online, uh, easiest way, obviously, is uh, Instagram, uh, davidfaller.northidaho, um, or on Facebook, obviously, just my name, uh, just like it sounds, F-A-L-L-E-R. And uh, so I'm on there, and obviously, I post everything on there that I can. And then, um, you know, I don't do websites. Most of my stuff is, is word of mouth. And if you fly into Spokane, you'll see my big, my big face there. Um, yeah, so. actually, it's funny you say that. My uh, girlfriend, when she was out here, she flew in. And she was sitting at baggage claim. She took a photo. She took a photo of it. See, where, that's where, the thing. Where, I've received no clients from that, but it makes people talk about you. And if really? you're on top of people's minds, then you know, they remember you and they have a need. Shoot, I can't find it. I know she sent it to me. Anyways. Cool. Thanks again, man. Yep, I appreciate it. If I ever come up here or if I decide to buy property or something up here, I'll definitely hit you up. I appreciate it. All right, man. See you on the next time. All right. What's Thanks. the what's the PSI lo- or I love you, man? I love you, Where's man. He's like, uh, later's on the Minjay. Oh, gosh. He's a realtor. That's why I brought that up. Anyways, okay, bye. Thanks.